Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadist for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Secular Jihadist for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi. With me is Armin Navabi. Armin Navabi, just say hello really, really quickly. I know you don't like small talk. Hello. That's it. That's all you need. So, um, welcome again. We're we're recording this like this near the end of February. So we usually have a monthly public uh, live stream where we get everybody. Everybody wants to come in, join in, ask questions, and we usually use a topic uh, that uh, everybody's interested in that most people are interested in, and we discuss it. And this week, that topic is going to be, or this month, is going to be Sunni versus Shia. So we're going to talk about these two sects. I mean, we've all heard about them, uh, that uh, Islam is uh, divided into Shiaism and Sunniism. There are Shias and Sunnis. Uh, they're always uh, fighting each other. They've been fighting each other for a very long time. Right. Why are they fighting each other? How did they arise initially? What is their history? What are the differences between what they believe and um, what are the issues and the friction that they have with each other? So we're going to cover that and a lot more here. Right. And in addition to that, we will be taking a lot of your questions. Uh, just quickly before we move on, the website is secularjihadist.com. Uh, if uh, those of you who are new to this, if you like what you hear, uh, please um, uh, go check out the website. Uh, you can go to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash SJME. You can go there. Uh, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month, uh, oh. and that really helps. We also now have Subscribestar. And we have Subscribestar. So uh, with that, uh, you will get access to the videos, not only of these live streams, which are public, but also uh, to our other episodes. And, you know, previous guests have included everyone from Stephen Pinker and Sam Harris to Mariam Namazi and Sarah Hader, Matt Dillahunty, you name it. It keeps going on and on. Uh, so, you know, we've been doing this for quite a while and we've got a lot of uh, really, really interesting, good stuff for you guys to check out. So that's anyway, that's the obligatory stuff. Yeah. I was going to say at the beginning, but um, now we're going to dive into the topic. Armin, do you have anything to say before we go on? Well, no, I want to talk about what we're going to talk about, but the way I just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the, the way I see this whole thing, because there's so many different things you could talk about when it comes to Shia versus Sunni, and usually it's all over the place, right? Some people talk about politics, some people talk about theology, some people talk about the story right after Muhammad's death, some people mm -hmm. go a little bit earlier. But if you look at it, if I, I think the best way, and you could tell me what you think about this, the best way to just organize the whole thing, right, is yeah. through a timeline. And this is the way I feel like it evolved, all right? Uh, and you might categorize it differently, but let me know what you think about it. I think the whole Shia-Sunni divide, Mm -hmm. Before it was even seen as a Shia-Sunni divide, it started with a family drama, okay, before Muhammad's mm -hmm. death. And again, please, people understand when we say before Muhammad's death, I'm not saying these stories are real. Um, we don't know how much of these stories are real. We are referring to these stories as they are canonized in Islam, based on Islamic uh, mythology, right? Based on Islamic. 
uh, you know, according to Islamic teachings and according to hadith. Hadith, hadith are unreliable. Uh, all the uh, bi- you know biographies of Muhammad are unreliable. But we're just referring to the ca- these characters in Islamic stories, right? So it started with a family drama uh, before Muhammad's death, alleged Muhammad's death. And then r- right after Muhammad's death, this family drama evolved into a political difference uh, over who, uh, who's the successor of Muhammad, who rules Ummah, Ummah meaning the Muslim community uh, mm-hmm. after that. And this, this difference between people supporting different people uh, supporting different successors, grew slowly, not initially, into a theological difference as well, right? So their stories, their narratives started to change, their idea about Islam, there are some, a lot of the core was the same, but even at the beginning, even the differences that we see now in theology wasn't there. The differences was just political differences, but then it evolved into theological differences. And these theological differences over many years, as they became stronger and stronger, give different people in these different camps different identities. So the theological differences turned into, uh, you know, difference in identity as how you see yourself based on the camp that you belong to. And this difference in identity then translated into more political differences, right? And this political differences, because it was also a difference in identity and different tribes, now it it had a less direct relation to theology, right? Because the original political differences was very direct to who's the successor of Muhammad. But then... When it comes to theology and then identity and then more differences in politics, it's it's very hard sometimes to point to the political differences and draw a straight line between the politics and the theology because there's a step in between, right? There's theological differences leading to ident- differences in identity and the differences in identity in different tribes leading to, to more political differences, even and which led into to political differences, even modern political differences, right? Uh, anything... Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I think that that's uh, pretty accurate. And this is how I think everything works. There is an amalgamation. People try to separate things into neat categories of, well, you know, there's a theological difference, there's a political difference, this is politics, this isn't part of the religion. But the thing is, it's it's an amalgamation of everything. Um, the, the, really the, all of the Abrahamic religions, much less Islam, much less Shias and Sunnis, is inherently political. Right, so um, these are, uh, you know, the, the, whether you're talking about the apocalypse, whether you're talking about uh, behaving a certain way so you get to heaven and hell, whether you're talking about rules about how to govern society, all of those things, uh, there is, if you roll the snowball. Like, put it in a different category, is theological and political. But both the, the theology and the politics is Islamic, because Islam is mm-hmm. a political religion. So I don't say religious and political because pol- the politics part of religion, I say theological and political, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, no, so I think it'll be kind of interesting to start at the beginning, right. uh, start after the death, or after even the before, before the death of Muhammad, <laughs> yeah. uh, when, the, when the familial conflict began, and then how that uh, sort of 
um, became exploded essentially after he died. And then later on, even, you know, the, the fact is that as much as Shias and Sunnis uh, tend to dislike each other and tend to fight each other and kill each other over all of these conflicts, um, their early spiritual leaders did work together. So that's also something that'll be kind of interesting to talk about. Well, they um, also and- worked against each other as well. They they worked against each other, but like they they intermarried. I mean, they, we'll 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 get to that in a little bit. Mm. Like for instance, uh, one of the interesting things is Jafar Sadiq, who is the source of the main, I guess you could call it hadith of the traditions that the Shia follow. And this is one of the main differences between Shia and Sunni is the sources of hadith, where they get their hadith out of practice of religion. Uh, so Jafar Sadiq was uh, not only a descendant of uh, Ali, but also a descendant of Abu Bakr, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Mm. Um, and also. Uh, he was also the t- teacher. Is uh, t- at least two of the founders of the four main mathabs in Sunni Islam mm. um, uh, were students of Jafar Sadiq. So, so there were parallels afterwards as well. Uh, Ali was a fourth caliph. But, actually worked very closely. Okay, but with you're the getting ahead. Let's, well. let's start. We from are. The so let's. Th- yeah. So let's start from the beginning. We don't want to get too excited. Um, so, uh, w- what happens? I think this starts begins uh, with with huh? Nicholas. Yeah. So, yeah, with, with the necklace, but uh, but let's begin with uh, Ali, who Ali was, right? Okay. Because the the main conflict was between the Ali camp and the Sahaba camp, the Abu Bakr camp. So, but the the, the, the necklace start, like they were they didn't have an issue with each other before the necklace story. They didn't. Yeah. So the, I mean that's how it started. But right. I, I just want to explain for people who don't know. Okay. So Muhammad was uh, claimed to be the last prophet of of Allah, right? Of God. Um, he uh, had a uh, on, on, he had a cousin uh, named Ali, right? Uh, who so Muhammad was essentially an orphan. He was orphaned very early. Uh, his mother died when he was just a little kid. His father died before he was born. Um, so he was gra- raised initially by his grandfather uh, Abdul Muttalib until he was like around 10 or something. And then after that, uh, he went to live with his uncle, Abu Talib. And his uncle, Abu Talib, was his legal guardian. And that legal guardian was like whatever legal meant at that time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, his, uh, so his son was Ali. So Ali was, uh, he was a young guy and he was um, uh, Muhammad's cousin. Uh, and Muhammad's best friend um, was named Abu Bakr. So Abu Bakr was not related to him, but it was a very close friend of his. So... Uh, Abu Bakr was the first uh, man to accept Islam. Um, Ali was also who was who came first? Was it Ali, Ali accepted Islam before Abu Bakr? But Ali. these were the two earliest. Ali was yeah, the first. Th- uh, Ali was the fir- if you don't count Muhammad, Ali was the first male Muslim. Khadija male was Muslim. the fir- Khadija yeah. was the first. Muslim. Female, yeah. no, oh, no, Muslim female, overall female, human being. Like if you don't, yeah, okay. if you don't count, actually. That's actually a little bit contradictory in Islam because mu- Muslims tell you Khadija was the first person that accepted Islam, but they also say Islam started since Adam. So what the so which, so um, I f- okay so I guess if you want to be technical about it, Khadija 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 was the first person in the world that accepted the complete version of Islam, which is Muhammad's Islam. Well, yeah, so or let, let's just say that the first one who actually believed Muhammad and believed that he was in his prophethood right. and, and believed the message that he had was divine. So Khadija was his first wife. Uh, Ali was the first uh, male to accept it, Ali his cousin. Um, and then Abu Bakr followed 
pretty closely after that. So these were some of the earliest Muslims. And uh, there was always a, uh, a I mean, they, they worked together. Ali was his cousin. Abu Bakr was his friend. Abu Bakr was also known as Abu Bakr Siddiq, because Siddiq in Arabic means friend. So he was, he was a good friend of uh, Muhammad's. Um, and uh, what happened was that uh, Abu Bakr had a daughter, right? And the daughter's name was Aisha. Um, and uh, Muhammad, yeah, and ended up. So, j- just to be clear, what you're saying, Ali, uh, um, both it's going to be confusing because you're Ali and his Ali. Uh, <laughs> the, Abu Bakr and uh, the first companions of Muhammad are the most important people uh, to Muslims uh, after Muhammad because they are the people that lived with Muhammad and know what he did and know what he and, and know what he said. And they lived according to his teaching. So the companions of Muhammad are seen as uh, following every single word that they mentioned. Even the ones that you don't like. Like, for example, Shias don't like Abu Bakr. But they are important. They are very significant because they lived with Muhammad. Uh, And these, among all the companions of Muhammad, these two figures are the most two important uh, important ones. Abu Bakr and Ali. Mm -hmm. But go on. So, so the next phase happened is the next way these relationships were consolidated and, and further strengthened uh, were through marriage on both sides. So Ali ended up getting married to Muhammad's daughter, Fatima, right? right. Uh, and Muhammad really had one surviving daughter towards the end who, who actually had kids afterwards. So his descendancy was carried out only through Fatima. So uh, Muhammad's daughter's name is Fatima. Ali married Muhammad's daughter. Uh, Abu Bakr... Uh, had a daughter named Aisha, and this is the sort of the famous or the infamous uh, six-year-old girl uh, that Muhammad married. So Muhammad also married Abu Bakr's daughter. So this was the uh, this was the thing. So Ali got married to Muhammad's daughter. Muhammad got married to Abu Bakr's daughter, um, and this was common. This, by the way, this was very uh, a very common way of um, u- uniting families and showing support for each other. You keep gifting each other's daughters to each other. Uh, as a way to show union and support, right, right, right. and uh, so it was, and there was a little a bit of a thing because, like, technically, Fatima was Ali's niece, right, uh, like cousin niece, his cousin's daughter. Uh, so, and 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 Abu Bakr. The difference between Abu Bakr's daughter was Aisha. Aisha was six years old at the time that Muhammad married her, um, and uh, when she was nine years old, the marriage was consummated. Muhammad was fifty-three at the time. So, this is that controversial. Um, aspect of it where he actually married a nine-year-old. So no, he married a six-year-old. He married a six-year-old, consummated at nine. Yeah, raped so, a nine-year-old. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So then, uh, so so now we move on, and uh, everybody's working together. Things are generally okay until Armin the necklace incident. Right. Okay. Well, before before the necklace incidents, uh, Aisha had to go take a dump. Okay, and this was while they were coming um, from a war campaign back home, on the way, uh, and Aisha is this, and what are they called, and the things that they, I mean, she's the wife of the prophet, so she's very important. She's not going to be walking, right? Uh, they're mm-hmm. carrying her in this thing, what are they called, like a carriage or something? Uh, they're, yeah, it's like a carriage where they hold it up on their shoulders, and then she's uh, yeah, okay. yeah sitting and in she's it. in one of those, and she's really tiny, obviously, she's a child, so... Um, when she, when they are resting, she goes to, uh, you know, 
respond to the call of nature and she comes back. But then when she's back, she notices that her necklace is missing. And this is a necklace, her favorite necklace because it was a gift from Muhammad. So she goes back to find it. But they get up and they leave and they don't notice that she's not in it because she's so lightweight, yeah. right? So, so this is a caravan that was traveling. So the caravan essentially left right. um, without her while she was going back to look for the necklace. And right. suddenly she was stranded and she, alone. And she's back and like, what the fuck? Everybody left without me. And this is a minor detail that I didn't know actually until recently. She could have actually, the caravan you know, moves very slowly. She could have ran and caught up with them. But she was like, fuck that. I'm the wife of the prophet. I'm yeah, going to sit... That's too granular. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But let's, well, let's stick to the major stuff. Okay, yeah. so, all right, so, so she sits there, and this other uh, person behind the caravan, on, uh, which was another person from the caravan, which was a bit behind on a camel, shows up, and he sees uh, Aisha sitting in the middle of the desert, alone and he's like what the fuck like obviously he thought like i can't just leave the wife of the prophet in the middle of the desert and just go right so he he picks her up he puts it he puts her under a camel and they ride together and they get catch up with the caravan but when they catch up this looks really bad people look at this strange guy his hands around the wife's uh, uh the um uh, the wife of the prophet showing up and people are like what the fuck is going on? And rumors start spreading. And right. So, so the thing is that he he was he was on a was it was it a horse or a camel? It was a camel. It was a camel. So he's on a camel. So obviously, if you're on a camel and you have a young girl sitting with you, she has to hold on to you. She's coming in. So you know, this young girl is like kind of holding on to him, except she's the wife of the prophet. And at that time, this was very taboo. If you go to the Quran and you look up Surah 33, there are all these instructions to the wives of the prophet. You know how they're supposed to like the wear a jilbab. They're supposed to cover but themselves this was, up. This was this they're was not, after. Yeah, this was after. But but uh, but um, the the point is that the 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 wives of, of the prophet were essentially like you don't. Go there. You don't uh, look at them. You don't do anything. So, and and here she is, like you know, she's holding on to this guy. I was apparently a very handsome guy showing up on a camel, showing up at the caravan. Um, and this is when uh, Ali. No, wait, and, wait, wait. So yeah, don't get on. to no rumors spread. Muhammad is embarrassed. He stopped seeing Aisha for a very long time, and Aisha is crying all the time. Why is the prophet not visiting me? What's happening? Uh, and rumors are like, and Muhammad really is. It was really bothering him that people are speaking about him on his back. So then, before then, what, what you were about to say happens because then he he brings his closest friends, his companions, together to to talk about what what to do, right? And Abu Bakr right. is there, and Abu, remember, Abu Bakr is Aisha's father. But Ali is there, and Ali says... Ali says that uh, he started suspecting uh, that uh, there could have been an issue of adultery. No, I mean, he didn't say that. He, he said, like, just, this is embarrassing, you're the prophet, you could have any girl you want, just divorce her, right? Yeah, Ali he said, said just... Just divorce. No, I mean, he's saying that there is a suspicion of this adultery. A lot of people are going to speculate this is not good for you. It doesn't look good for your image, and yeah. you should divorce her. Divorce yeah. her. And Abu Bakr was like, hey, 
I'm in the room. I can hear you. You're talking about my daughter, right? And this comment by Ali was the moment that Abu Bakr and his allies were div- got divided bet- from Ali and his allies, right? And his family, right? And Aisha yeah. heard, and this is exactly why Aisha was always, always hated Ali after this. And this is why Aisha eventually after Muhammad's death actually started a war against Ali. By the way, Aisha was yeah. pretty badass after Muhammad died. Like Aisha was like raised an army. She started winning, going into battle. Um, I mean, she was 18 when Muhammad died. And like she's, I mean, she was kind of cruel and barbaric, but still it was mm-hmm. very, it was very interesting for an 18 year old girl to be able to do all of that and start making such yeah but go on right so and then uh, so when that happened right hmm. uh there was uh and so after this happened you know Muhammad was actually for a while apparently conflicted right because he was kind of caught between he had uh, ali on one side and ali was telling him that hey you know you should divorce her it's not good for pr yeah and then on ali, the other hand ali underestimated how much Muhammad likes aisha Right. And uh, on the other hand, uh, you had um, uh, Abu Bakr, who was really upset. He's like, you're accusing my kid of my daughter of adultery, and she's the wife of the prophet. So Muhammad's kind of caught between his best friend and he's, uh, and, and his cousin, Ali, both of, them who, who, both of whom are very, very dear to them. So it's a, basically like a family spat. Uh, but this, this was a root of the conflict between the Abu Bakr camp uh, and the Ali camp. Right. right, and uh, so, it, it basically started with Aisha, and then ultimately later on, Aisha and Ali were on opposite opposite sides of a battlefield yeah. as well. But and a verse is, came down. A verse, yes. yeah. So. This is the Quranic verse that came down that said, "Look," which is very convenient. In fact, there's a so a verse, Quranic verse came down that said that you need four witnesses. Uh, if you make such allegations, right? If there is any allegations of adultery or zina or whatever, you need four witnesses, um, and m- basically it was Muhammad's excuse for saying. And, and and if you don't, ha- if you make such an accusation, and if you don't have four mi- witnesses, four male witnesses, by the way, um, then not only they're they're not the accused should not be punished. The people that made the accusations should be punished, right? So this was mm-hmm. Muhammad's way. To shut everyone up, right? And yeah, Muhammad and it, was like, every time Muhammad wanted something, he was like, I'm not saying it, God is saying it. Do you have a problem with God? Right? So, and Aisha, you know, Aisha, I think she was pretty clever because she, she not only commented that she's surprised that there's a verse coming out specifically about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Muhammad died, she kind of used the same techniques because every time she wanted something political, she would be like, I remember Muhammad saying this. I remember Muhammad saying that. She used that she used that technique so much that she became the second <laughs> second uh, more source sourced. more source of uh, source of hadith, right? Because yeah. and and people even pointed out like well, uh, some to her that you are actually contradicting yourself in some of the things that you're remembering from Muhammad. Um, I don't know. I don't remember how she responded to that. But she, this is why Aisha is the second most source of hadith because she learned from Muhammad. Uh, yeah, it's it's worth actually reading the Quranic verses that were uh, quote unquote revealed uh, mm-hmm. after this 
incident because, of course, you know, Muhammad was conflicted. He's like, okay, I don't know. And then this verse came down and it was basically a way to solve the conflict. It was I, way, it, or essentially it was a way to tell the Ali camp to just quiet down. I'm not going to divorce, divorce this girl. Right. So I'll, I'll just read it out. It's Surah 24. Huh? Before, before you say that, actually, the rational guard in the live chat also reminded me that there is actually a hadith of Aisha saying that the verses came... Uh, at at convenient times to Muhammad, right? So right, Aisha right. even noticed that. But go on. So uh, it's from twenty four eleven onwards. So Surah twenty four verse eleven onwards. Uh, so here goes. Indeed, those who came with falsehood are a group among you. Do not think it bad for you; rather, it is good for you. So he's he's speaking. This is God speaking to Muhammad. Uh, for every person among them is what punishment he has earned from the sin, and he who took upon himself the greater portion thereof for him there is a great punishment. Why, when you heard it, did not the believing men and believing women think good of one another and say this is an obvious falsehood? Mm. The falsehood being the the accusation of adultery against Aisha. Why did they who slandered? not produce for it four witnesses. As you said, Armin, this is when the four witnesses came, thing, that you know, if they were going to accuse her of adultery, they should have produced four witnesses. Mm. Um, and when they do not produce the witnesses, then it is they in the sight of Allah who are the liars. So if you want to accuse somebody of adultery, you can't produce four witnesses, then you're the one who's a liar. It's on you. Which is and if it, which is which yeah. is completely fucks with the uh, with the way actually justice was supposed to work. Like, um, but but this actually hurt a lot of uh, women over the years. Like this mm -hmm. again, a lot of people think Muhammad was this evil mastermind trying to f fuck up the whole world. But if you look at his, if you believe in his these stories, which I don't know how much of it is believable, it just seems like he came up with verses based on his own needs. The consequences of Islam later was the negative consequences of Islam later was not like Muhammad trying to like fuck the world or anything, but this verse specifically fucked the world and uh, fucked a lot of women trying to report rape. Like women, a lot of women in Islamic countries, when they go and um, report somebody raping them and they don't have four witnesses, not only their case... They're is not, accused of lying. Not Yeah, but they, they're accused actually of adultery after that. Yeah. Right? So they say, so you're, you, you, you admit it to having sex with somebody and you don't have four witnesses, four people that saw it, so not only we're not going to prosecute that guy for um, for raping you, you are now going to be punished for actually committing adultery, and this is why right. it discouraged a lot of uh, a lot of women for from reporting rape, right? Right. But go on. So, so the yeah, the verses go on, and now he's, he's talking like Allah is pissed. You know, he's pissed at the people who did the slander. So right. says, if it had not been for the favor of Allah upon you and his mercy in the world and here in the world and, and the hereafter, you would have been touched for that lie in which you were involved by great punishment. When you received it with your tongues and you said it with your mouths, that of which you had no knowledge and thought it was insignificant while it was in the sight of Allah, tremendous. So that slander was was massively uh, uh, really angered Allah. And why, when you heard it, did you not say it is not for us to speak of this? Exalted are you, O Allah. This is a great slander. Allah right. warns you against returning to the likes of this conduct ever, if you should be believers. Like basically, just never lay off of Aisha. Never ever accuse her of adultery. So, um, so this but, was. By a, the way, apparently the the hadith with regards to Aisha saying that the verses came down for, at useful times, that's not um, that's not Sahih hadith. 
So just make mm-hmm. uh, so thank you for pointing it out. So, so just um, and again, none of when we say hadith or uh, a hadith is authentic or not, we're not saying because they're authentic that they are true. Whereas when we're saying they're authentic, we're saying they're true according to Muslims, right? So as it's canon, it's canon in Islam, in Islamic uh, mythology, right? Not not that we believe they're the way they they say a hadith is authentic because it's not scholarly at all the way they consider a hadith authentic. Right. But we need to point out if something is had, uh, sahih or not because we only want to uh, point to things that is part of Islamic canon, right? But go on. Right. Uh, okay. So so this happens. You have this uh, thing, and now there's this tension uh, between Abu Bakr and Ali. Uh, that uh, and later on, as Aisha grows up between Aisha and Ali, mm. that never properly gets resolved. So on the one hand, you have the Muhammad's cousin and his blood relative, right, and his son-in-law, so the father of his only progeny. So Muhammad's right. descendancy only came down through his daughter. His daughter was the only one who had kids of her own, mm. right? And Ali was the father of these kids. Right. So Ali was the father of Muhammad's grandkids. So and, on one hand, you have what the Shia revere as uh, the Ahlul Bayt, which means that you know the the the, um, the, people. the the people of the house. Right. right. This is the house, the family of Muhammad. Muhammad yeah. Yeah. And on the other hand, uh, you have uh, his wife. Right, and and there's a there's a conflict between them. His his one well one of his uh, eleven wives, his last wife, um, and the daughter of his of his best friend. So so now now you have this conflict, and eventually when uh, Aisha grows up and she's eighteen, Muhammad dies. Right, right. He's sixty two. But before that before that happens, maybe we should talk about the last Hajj, the last where Muhammad keep, takes Ali. This is the story that she has. Keep referring to Sunnis. Yeah, the, yeah. the Sunnis don't really refer to the story that much unless they're trying to uh, say why Shias are wrong. So yeah. this is this story is this last story of the last Hajj that Muhammad went to. By the way, remember why Muhammad? The people are like why would Muhammad go to Hajj? Isn't he right next to the Kaaba? No, when Muhammad eventually in uh, conquered Mecca, he. St- and he, he then uh, and he destroyed all the idols in Kaaba. Uh, he still went back to Medina or Yathrib. So to do Hajj every once in a while, he still had to travel from Medina to Mecca, right? And this was his last pilgrimage, his last Hajj. Uh, and a lot of people saw like he, the reason why he did this was because he knew that he was going to die. So this was the most important message that he needed. This was the best opportunity for him because he had the largest audience. Everybody was there. All the people of all the houses were there, all the tribes and everything. And and she has point to, to say, like, what, this shows how important Ali is because he picked this moment. He knew he was dying. And he had the largest audience that he could ha- have had because this was, was his. This was a hajj, and this is what he decided to say to this audience. And what did he say to the audience? He said, "Man kunto mala fahada ali mala," uh, which I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but it basically means, uh, uh, like whoever. If you think that I'm your lord, Ali is your lord too. Like if you think that you I'm your tra- okay, leader. you said uh, say that in Arabic word again. You say Lord, but Sunnis translate that in another way. Say that again. Friend, they yeah. they well, they say something like whoever's uh, my friend. I'd, uh, if you're if you're if uh, if I'm your friend, then I'll use your friend too. 
right? Right. So, but what's but the, the word? word is it's Maula. Ma- Maula. All right. But the, she has she has translated that as to Lord, uh, and Sunnis translated like no, he was just saying, "If I'm your friend, Ali is your friend." But she has think that's ridiculous because they say, "Why?" Like, imagine if he stops the whole caravan, he tells, he stops the whole caravan and he tells all the people that are ahead to come back. And he says, let's wait for the people that are behind us to catch up. And everybody gets there. And she has like, do you think he did all of this at such an important time with such an audience to just tell everybody like, hey, if I'm your friend, he's also your friend. Obviously, that's a ridiculous. They say that's a ridiculous translation. Obviously, Muhammad had something more important to say. Obviously, he was making it clear who his successor is. And it was Ali and nobody else. I don't know what the refutation, Sunni refutation to that is. Do you know what the Sunni refutation um, is? Yeah, I, I don't even know. Uh, do they believe it? Is this something that they agree with at all? I just think, I just heard so far Sunni say that he was saying that Ali is important and he, Ali is important to us. Uh, Shia say, well, that Ali is our fourth Khalifa. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not like we don't value Ali. Um, yeah. We just don't think like you sh- It's not. They they say Shias think like the rule ruling is supposed to go through. It gets inherited through through blood, and they say that's not how Islam is. That's more as how monarchies work, right? They say Sunnis. Right. They say Sunnis way of figuring out leadership is that after Muhammad's death, the whole community got together, and they vote it's more it was more democratic they voted for somebody and they selected their leader which was abu Bakr. and they say she has think that leadership transfers through blood but sunni's ways is, are more logical um and yeah, ali they, ali is important and that's why he's the most for khalifa she has like no that's fucked up abu Bakr was not supposed to succeed muhammad it was ali and muhammad made that very clear and and she has point out that sunnis actually don't have any cons- they say that their way is better but if you look at all the first three khalifas they all yeah. got selected in three different ways right so they say like what are you guys talking about the first uh, the first guy was selected because you guys uh, didn't even wait. So do, we should get to this, basically to the story, right? When Muhammad died, Ali was basically, uh, b- you know, bur- burying Muhammad when they were having their meeting over their successor. Like Ali was worried about the body and putting him to the ground, and they were meeting together saying who's the next successor. Like you guys didn't even wait before you made sure that's, Ali is not there. That's more the Shia version yeah. too. I, mean, I know that the makes Shia. them sound really, really bad. Right. Uh, so, so the thing is, again, a, a lot of this is around the controversy around the word Mala that people Sunnis think it's sufficiently vague to justify their view of Ali. So for example, if Mala means leader, or you know, then then Muhammad saying whoever's leader I am, Ali's your leader too. So that isn't for Shias. That's a clear declaration of successorship, right? So right. so they think that they they celebrate this. It's, it's the, the Islamic month of Dhulhaj. It's the 18th mm. of Dhulhaj when they celebrate what they call Eid al Qadir, which means you know this is a the day that uh, a celebratory day of the day that Muhammad appointed his successor and he named uh, Ali as a successor. Right. Um, the Sunni view is like, well, because Mala can have so many different def- definitions, it can mean partner, it can mean ally, and we're totally down with that. Yes, of course, Ali was an ally. If you're, you know, you're, you're 
if I'm your ally, then Ali is your ally too, right? And uh, of course, we have him as our fourth caliph. We revere him. So it totally works for them. So there isn't really any way to resolve this. But uh, but after he died, yes, there was a uh, 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 there was a meeting, right? And uh, depends on whose account what. The Shias believe is what you said, Armin, is that, you know, uh, um, Ali was more concerned about the body and the burial, and he was trying to take care of it, and he was, like, more of an grieving kind of state, while the others were out there, and they were determining a successor and deciding who's going to come next. Um, that, that, is, uh, that obviously makes Ali look a lot better than, than the other, than the Sahaba, so that's why it's a Shia narrative. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, uh, the, the other version of it is that everybody was there and everybody was talking about successorship and they had an election and people voted, legitimately voted for Abu Bakr over Ali, right? And this upset uh, the followers of Ali. And this is where the term Shia comes from. Shia yeah. means follower. So it, the original term was Shia to Ali, right? Which means followers of Ali. Just to um, be clear, at this time, there was no Shia, like even the, even though Ali had his supporters and the other people had their own supporters, um, there was no. This was not, uh, you know, categorized as a Shia Sunni divide until many many years later, right? This was just people that agree with Ali, and and like the the argument for Sunnis also was that Ali was too young at this point, and there was yeah. and at that time, you know, experience and age was valued a lot. So even if Ali was supposed to rule at some point, it wasn't his time yet. Uh, so that's an argument from Sunnis. And another argument from Shias is that they had the meeting without Ali. They made sure Ali was not present when they had that whole thing going on, right? To make sure that he doesn't get it. Like, that, yeah, that is a Shia view. Another Shia view is that when, Ali, when Muhammad was dying... He asked for pen and paper. And this is why Aisha made sure that Muhammad was in his in her house when he was dying. So that Ali and Fatima and all these other people don't have access to him. Right? And when he was when Muhammad asked for pen and paper to write something, every like they always like they all were worried because they were worried. She has say that they were worried that he's going to say Ali is my successor or something like that. So they they didn't give it to him. They were like, "You're too sick, just relax and everything." And also, Muhammad, when he was dying, when he was at his deathbed, he also said that I'm very, uh, I'm very, I'm very sorry for whoever the people that come after me. Like he was saying, people say that he was predicting a huge divide. In the community, so he he was. I don't know if that's Sahih or not. By the way, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The, and and the thing is to understand this from any point of. I mean, remember when Muhammad started out? He started out as a rebel, a sort of a spiritual leader for people. This is when he was living in Mecca. By the time he got to Medina and after the Hijri, he had become a statesman. He'd become a warrior, and, and the, these words were synonyms. A lot of people like Muhammad was a warmonger. He's a warmonger. Well, most statesmen. If you've seen Game of Thrones, as recently as as just several centuries ago, most statesmen were uh, involved. I mean, they were just military people too. There was very, very little. Uh, there was a lot of overlap between the two roles. So yes, so he was a statesman at the time. There were security risks to the Muslim Ummah. So at that point, it was very, very important that there was a successor immediately. So um, for people but, to choose one in haste wasn't completely completely unheard right. of. By right? the way, for because you didn't want to provide an opportunity of vulnerability when you're leaderless, hmm. right? 
because uh, that, that obviously gives your enemies a, an opportunity to attack. I want to so, touch on that before you go to something. I just want to say that people in the live chat, if you want, if you want us to uh, uh, answer something, tag Secular Jihadist, and I'm copying and pasting the people that tag Secular Jihadist, I'm copying their questions in, in, in my notes, okay? So just make sure you tag Secular Jihadist, um, and we will answer them at the end, okay? Right. Um, but, so now there's this rivalry. It's sort of like... But I want to touch on what you said, because Muhammad uh, had no sons. He had one son, he named him Ibrahim, but he died at a young age. Uh, and this was, this was... This is exactly the problem. He, he had, he had uh, all of his... Whoever he had, I think he may have had more than one son, but they all died in India. I thought he only had one son. Ibrahim was his only son that would uh, die. He's a, but he's this the is son of the slave girl with Maria, Maria the Copt. It mm-hmm. was Ibrahim. He died at the age of one. Right. Um, and there were other, I mean, th- this is exactly the problem. Other, other, you know, um, uh, people that started empires had pro- Alexander the Great. He had no sons. And that's why his empire got divided when he died. And uh, Chinggis Khan had the exact opposite problem. He had too many sons. And that's why his empire got divided after he died. But yeah. go on. Ellie. Yeah, so apparently, like I'm saying, I, th- I think that there were, I, 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 I know that Ibrahim was the uh, the son of uh, the Maria, the, uh, the Maria who was the Egyptian uh, Coptic slave yeah. that he had. Mm. Um, was, she wasn't his wife, but but uh, he also had, I think, a couple of other sons. But they all died in infancy. He had several children uh, who all died in infancy. If he had um, a son, it would have been it would have been he would probably be a successor. Like yeah, things would be very very different. Right. So, um, but he had. So Sunnis believe that he had four daughters. Right, uh, him and Khadija had four daughters. Yeah, I, kn- I didn't uh, know this until I left Iran. By the way, I thought it was always just Fatima and nothing else. Yeah, and then, and then Shia believe that basically he was uh, Fatima was a sole uh, yeah. daughter. But uh, the um, one thing that's true is that the, uh, the his progeny, the, his grandchildren, basically came from Fatima. So his descendancy right. was carried out from from Fatima. And this this is why the Shia is mentioned Ahlul Bayt a lot. I don't know if Sunnis I don't think mention it that much because Ahlul Bayt, they, what what Muhammad left basically, they she has what we what we are told in Iran is that he left the Quran, and he left the Ahlul Bayt as a role model, right? For him right. to f- to continue Islam, and Ahlul Bayt means people of the house, means his family. It means Ali, Hassan, Hussein, and Fatima, and the twelve Imams, right? After, uh, all the twelve Imams, right? But um, but Sunnis are like, no, everybody is Ahl- all Muslims are Ahlul Bayt, right? Um, like it's all Muslims, everybody together. We are all the family of it's the Ummah. The Ummah is yeah. a whole family, right? Um, and this is and this is actually this is another reason, you know, when when Muhammad died, Fatima wanted to, to get the inheritance from Muhammad, right? Uh, Fatima, Muhammad's daughter, but she was denied because they said it belongs to the Ummah, it belongs to the entire Muslim community, and Fatima was like this is my dad's, uh, give me my dad's inheritance, and they denied her that, right? Um, yeah. And this uh, this struggle between, so we have to just note the characters. This is like Game of Thrones. When you have too many characters, it might get confusing. So on one side, you have Ali and his wife Fatima, which is Muhammad's daughter. And they seemed very lonely compared to everyone else. Like everybody else that we consider main figures in Shia Islam, they're children right now, right? So they're, it's basically them to this, this couple versus the world, uh, versus the Ummah. Uh, on the other side, you have the, these 
older, stronger people with more higher connections, uh, Abu Bakr, um, Aisha, uh, Omar, Osman, they have the wealth, they have the connections, uh, and they now are in power. And they're on what other side? So, and this is why Shias always see their side as the oppressed side, as the lonely side, as the people, as the as the people mm-hmm. that deserved a lot more, but were wrong all the time. They were de- denied their rights all the time. Not just Ali, but then Fatima, and then Hassan, and then Hussein, and all the twelve Imams. They were always denied their rights. But mm-hmm. things get really out of hand when Ali keeps. Ali is supposed to announce his Pledge of Allegiance to Abu Bakr, which is now the Khalifa. Yes. And he is now supposed to be like, I, I recognize him as the Khalifa, as the successor of Muhammad. And he doesn't. And Omar gets really, really angry. And he shows up at Ali's house demanding that he comes out and pledge allegiance to, um, to Abu Bakr. And he doesn't. And at some point... Omar, Omar, which will eventually become the second Khalifa, opens the door so, uh, you know, opens. This is, by the way, this is also the Shia version of this story. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so but go he ahead, opens the door so violently, and Fatima was behind the door, and he, she's. He preg- also sets fire to the house, by the way. Okay, but she, yeah. she she's pregnant with Ali's third son, so the first two son. Are Hassan and Hussein, and I think the third son was supposed to be named Mohsen, which was never uh-huh. born because of this. And he opens the door, and this is a very this is a moment where Shias really hate Omar for. Uh, we because this thing first kills um, um, F- uh, Fatima's baby, but then she also dies herself a few days after, I think, right because of this. Right, so Omar actually ends up killing Fatima, which is the most for for Sunnis the most highest, the most important female figure for Sunnis is Aisha. They call her uh, Omul Mu'minin, which is the mother of believers. Right, uh, Aisha is hated by most Shias, um, but by the most revered figure, by, female figure by Sunni Muslims. The most revered female figure for Shia Muslims is Fatima, right? The, the, the daughter of the Prophet and the wife of the first Imam or, or the fourth Khalifa, right? So, and Omar, kill, Omar kills her. Well, so, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to like add a little bit of uh, detail to this and especially kind of maybe focus on some of the things that both sides agree on. So, so here are some of the details are that uh, whatever kids Muhammad had, right, whether you believe he had four daughters who survived adulthood or, you know, he had the three sons, whatever it was, uh, Fatima was the only one uh, who, like all of them predeceased him. Fatima is the only one who survived, survived after Muhammad's yes. death. So uh, Muhammad's other daughters, uh, they all died before he died, right? Right. Um, but Fatima was the only one who lived. Now, Fatima, how long did she live after Muhammad's death? She lived six months right. after Muhammad's death. So she died six months after Muhammad died. And uh, the other thing is that these, uh, these, these people, Banu Hashim, they, the, Ali's followers, including Ali and Fatima, did not pledge allegiance to Abu Bakr, right, who, who was the uh, elected 
caliph or the first khalifa, they did not pledge allegiance at, at, until after Fatima's death. So six months after the, for six months after Muhammad died, there was a chaos. There's a lot of family conflict. Um, you know, at Fatima, some people say she was under house arrest along with Ali. Uh, they were being forced to give uh, pledge allegiance to Abu Bakr. They didn't, and then after Fatima dies, we have the, the 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 allegiance it's pledged to Abu Bakr. Um, there is a really interesting sort of offbeat theory that I found uh, compelling by uh, Wilfred Madelung, who's a, who's a scholar of like heresiography or you know anyway. I won't get into the detail, details of that, but what, what he says is that. Since Fatima was the only surviving child of Muhammad, and this is kind of interesting, so you would typically that would make her his, his prime, his main heiress and his main successor. So technically, she would be the successor, according to the Quran itself. Right when the Quran talks about succession inheritance, she would have inherited seven eighths of his property and his rights. So all of his estate, everything he got, she would have gotten seven eighths of it, and his surviving wives collectively would just get one-eighth. And this is according to Quranic law. So this is something that can't be disputed by either side. But she wasn't given her due for the reason that Armin pointed out, that they said, well, this is a this estate, it's Muhammad's inheritance goes to everybody. Right. So it's not going to be going according to the Quran. And she was essentially saying, and Ali was saying, you know, this inheritance should be given to us based on Quranic law. We should be getting seven-eighths of it. Right. And all of his wives should be getting one-eighth. Right. So, so the do- was it- so you could basically, um, you know, simple way of looking at it is a war between the daughter of Muhammad and the wives of Muhammad, and who? Yes. Right. Okay. Go. Yes. Right. So, so you have Fatma and you have Ali on one side, and then you have uh, his wives on the other, and this is an inheritance thing. Now, when the Quran, when it comes down to the Quran, which everybody agrees on, according to the Quran, the rules are clear, right? Fatima wants to go according to the rules of the Quran, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the wives don't want to go according to the rules yeah, of the this Quran is an, because they think this, this is, is an exception. Por- this is a Prussia argument that I never considered. No, no, no this is a Quran. I'm talking I know, about but I'm, I'm saying this is one point for Shias that I never, didn't consider before. That this yeah. is a very strong point for Shias. This is it is a, it's it's a strong point for Shias and everything with the timeline, the six months afterwards, all of that. You know, that's. Uh, that's kind of interesting. So, so what happened is that Omer was uh, really pissed about this, right. right? Omer definitely wanted. Omer, by the way, is responsible for the conquest of Islam. So, you can tell a little bit about his personality. This is a guy who, before motorized transport, before air travel, before mail, before paper, before like fucking email or anything like that. This is a guy who, within just a matter of decades, was able to spread Islam. You know, from. Uh, that's sort of Eastern Europe, or even parts of Western Europe, all yeah. the way to the Indian subcontinent, right. like during his lifetime. So yeah, this so, is so just to be clear: if the stories are true, which is highly doubtful, the reason why Islam became an empire had, not, had wasn't because of Muhammad. When Muhammad died, the domain of Islam was very small. It wasn't even all yeah. of Ar- even all of Arabia, yeah. but it was Omar, the second Khalifa, that spread Islam far and wide. And he he yeah. was like I don't know like I don't like he seemed like a military genius. He was very aggressive, very aggressive. Yeah, he, was, he was the most extremely know? ambitious, right? Yeah. He was extremely ambitious. Uh, he did not have. Uh, you can't do that. Like you're not going to spread Islam at that time uh, if it's supposed to be such a comprehensive philosophy that you have to understand. Right. You're not going to spread it by sitting around and holding seminars in the desert and passing out pamphlets. 
Right. right. So that's why they say Islam was spread by the sword. That's the reason for his speech. So if you look at this guy's personality, he was obviously very aggressive and very ambitious. So uh, he could not have been happy with this whole uh, succession thing and the fact that Ali was not uh, pledging allegiance. And right? he, so th- he's also one of the most hated figures in Iran when it comes to Islamic ideology, both by religious Iranians and non-religious Iranians. Yeah, the, the Shias hate him. The Shias, Shias hate, hate him hate for killing Fatima and also being against Ali, you know, taking the rights yeah. from Ali. But the non-religious, Iran- the anti-Islamic Iranians hate him because he's the, inv- he's the guy that invaded Iran. He's yeah. the guy that imposed, brought Islam to Iran. But go on. Right. But and he was also killed. He was, and, but one, one thing that Iranians love, again, this is, uh, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying any of this is right or wrong, but he, Omar was killed by his slave which was a Christian, which was a Christian from Iran. So he was killed by Iran, his Iranian slave, which a lot of Iranians see as poetic justice. But go on. Yeah. So I mean, this, essentially, he was he was very upset. So it is the Shia version is that he was so pissed at this uh, thing that he went and he set fire to Fatima's house, as Armin said. Uh, one of his uh, was, was it Khalid bin Wali? I think one of his uh, deputies or whatever opened the door really, really hard, and and that that uh, caused uh, Fatima to miscarry, and it eventually killed her. Uh, so after she died, you know, then she's gone. Uh, this whole idea of the inheritance eventually is becomes kind of moot, mm. and um, oh uh, yeah, Ali, you're right. That takes care of the inheritance issue, right? So then Ali is uh, sort of uh, now he's like, okay, well, you know what? He pledges allegiance. Yes, uh, and I, and this is again another thing that um, a lot of followers of Ali hated because he pledged allegiance to Abu Bakr. But Shias today remind you that. Unlike Abu Bakr, Omar, and Osman, which were the first three caliphs, just to, just to clarify, we didn't mention this. According to Sunnis, there are four caliphs, first one being Abu Bakr, second one Omar, third one Osman, and then Ali being the fourth caliph. According to Shias, that's all fucking bullshit. The first imam is Ali, and then we have 12 other imams, 12 Shia, which is the main Shia, Shia mm-hmm. Islam. But, no, but, the, but the, caliph, the caliph thing, it may be... It's maybe something that a lot of Shias didn't subscribe to, but that was a political reality. Like Ali right. did work. No, with, so yeah, no, yeah, of course. But this is what Shias remind you of of us today: is that Abu Bakr, Omar, and Osman they wanted power. They wanted. They were hungry for power. Ali, the reason why he's supposed to be a mom is because he wanted it the least. Right? Mm-hmm. They say he didn't even want to be in power. He he went to power because of the Ummah. And when he pledged allegiance to Abu Bakr, he did it for the sake of the Ummah because he didn't want war. He didn't want division. He wanted peace in the Ummah and the Islamic community. So he basically pledged allegiance to do to do whatever it takes to not cause division in the in in the Ummah. and this is what she the Shia narrative, uh, and right. he he was even but even when he eventually became the Khalifa, which became the fourth Khalifa, his entire Khalifat was marked with wo- war and bloodshed, which Ali always hated, and he he couldn't seem to stop, and he seemed to he felt like he was cursed, like he was he always mentioned that he would rather do anything else. Than being responsible for Muslims killing other Muslims, but that was he was plagued by it the entire time. But go on. 
Right, and <laughs> he would still be plagued by it today. So that is the uh, that that's a part of it. I think that uh, when it comes to after the death of Muhammad and that successorship, I think that part of it plays very well with the Shia Shia narrative. If you're Shia. You've got Quranic law of inheritance on your side. You've got the historical accounts and everything like that on your side. So I think you have probably a stronger argument. I have some strong arguments for when it comes – like when we get to theology, which we should get at some point, I have some strong points for Sunnis, by the way. By the way, I I know it's funny when people – when we say strong points, we're not saying any of these are right because obviously we're atheists. We know that. No, no. I just – I'm saying we're going to have new audience so people are going to be like why are these atheists are saying which side is right the way we're saying is r- something is right or wrong the way you have to think about it is like if we if if you if imagine if we were really hardcore star wars fans and we were writing um you know fan fiction and we were arguing that this is not this fan fiction is not right because it's not consistent with the Star Wars universe, right? So yeah. if you if you say okay, you have a point here. This fan fiction doesn't make sense. It's not consistent. It's not. We're not saying that Star Wars is real. We're not making the claim that the Star Wars universe exists. Uh, we're just we're just seeing that the internal consistency within the world that they have created, the imaginary world that they have created. But go on, Ali. Right. So, so I think I, I wanted to move on to uh, now we have this whole thing about the Shia narrative. But when the Shia talk about, they try to make excuses for why Ali worked with the other three caliphs. Mm. Right. When they start talking about that, I think they're on much weaker ground because Ali did work closely with Abu Bakr. He worked with Omar. He worked with Usman. I will, uh, I will defend that, them. They say it was for the sake of the Ummah. He worked yeah, with they, them for uh, the sake of the Ummah. Yeah, but there's there's a lot more that goes into it. So, for example, okay, I'll give you uh, one example. As uh, Armin said, there are four caliphs, right, in, in Sunni Islam. That's Abu Bakr, Omar, Uthman, and Ali, right? And then in uh, with, the, with the Shia, they believe in spiritual leaders called the Imams. That starts with uh, Ali, right, who was his son-in-law. And then after that, his sons, the grandsons of Muhammad, right? So, right. so Ali and Fatima's sons, uh, Hassan, Hussein. Uh, some people don't think of Hassan. They just agree with the same. But anyway, so Hussein, Zen, Al-Abidin, Hassan and is the most ignored imam in Shias. But go on. Hassan, well, the, the Ismaili Shias don't even recognize him. Really? As one of the imams, uh, well, okay, let's right? let's not bring Ismailis to this because they're off. Sh- they're not. I mean, they're they're, they're yeah, French. Yeah, you know, they're forget French. the Ismailis. Okay. Sorry, Ismailis. forget the Ismailis. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, I mean, we should so talk about that. them because at some point, because they were the first Shias in power in Egypt. Yeah, they were. Okay, but they, go were, on. they actually have a very interesting history. But I think that's a whole other episode. Okay. Um, and anyway, uh, so Jafar Sadiq, right, who is the sixth imam, was uh, probably the most important imam out of the twelve in terms of uh, history and source of hadith, right? So uh, the the one just like the Sunnis basically. Wait, wait why all of a sudden jump to Jafar? We, we we didn't even talk about Hussein. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm coming to it. Just okay, wait okay. for it for a second. So Jafar Sadiq was one of the most important imams in Shiism. Uh, just like uh, for the Sunnis, the source of hadith are the Sahaba, they're the people who lived with Muhammad and his companions who wrote down everything or actually memorized everything that he did and then later transmitted it orally to down many generations. Like, so that, that hadith that's a source of hadith from for Sunnis, like Bukhari, Muslim, all of that stuff. Uh, for Shia, it comes from the family of Muhammad. The Shia argued that, hey, who would know Muhammad better 
his cousin, his family, the people who are hanging out with him, having dinner with him, talking to him all the time, getting life lessons from him, or a bunch of guys who just hung out with him for a couple of years and just observed and noted everything down. So that's I mean, and they, they remind us that the relationship between Ali and Muhammad was way stronger than Abu Bakr and Muhammad. Ali, Ali was raised in Muhammad's household. And they say Ali was so many things to Muhammad other than his cousins. They remember, they remind us that because Muhammad raised Ali as a child, as a child, uh, Muhammad was also a father to him, not just a cousin. And they, even when he was an adult, they, they were always hanging out with each other, with each other. Because, so they also were a brother to each other. And, and eventually when Muhammad married Fatima, he was also his father-in-law. So they say there's so much to say about the relationship between Ali and Muhammad, and Ali would have known Islam best. Ali yeah, was so raised by Muhammad, so no one else could have known Islam as good as Ali would. Yeah, but that's, exa that's exactly the thing. You know, if you, uh, if you uh, go down like a hundred years from now, if somebody wants to know me or Armin right. or, or like uh, Ali Rizvi, if you want to know what he was like, you know, would you go to my family and my, the, the people who lived in my house and, you know, were in close contact with me all the time right. um, and had relationships with me? Or would you go with a bunch of people who just hung out with me and took notes? So that is the, uh, that's the Shia Sunni difference. This is one of the main, the roots of the theological differences between Shia and Sunni are the sources of Hadith. Anyway, but we will get to the theology. But back to Jafar Sadiq. So Jafar Sadiq was a source of most of the okay, Shia. Can you, can you tell people who Jafar Sadiq is he's the, uh, the uh, one of the sixth moms. imam yeah so yeah so out of the Hussain, 12 imams Hussain. he is the sixth one Hussain now what's interesting him. about him is is his ancestry and this is Wait, where let, you know, let's see if i remember actually uh, ali is one hassan hussein i'm putting up myself up for zain al-abedin no, bagher jafar sadiq seven is kazim Yes, Al-Kazim. Yeah. Uh, eight is rizza which is buried in iran that's where no. the name rizvi comes from oh really yeah, Rizvi um, is all descendants of Raza. Nine, I forgot. Ten is ask. Ten is fuck. Hold on. I, I, this is, <laughs> yeah, those other ones nobody cares cool. about. Yeah, but there's uh, a Naki. There's Askeri. Uh, Twin is Askeri. There's Zedi. There's yeah. There's all that. And then eleven is the least important one, and then it becomes very important again. Twelve, which is Emma Oh no, Zedi was Zenalab. Anyway, for so that's okay. That, that's not a that's not a whole lot of fun. You can always Wikipedia them. You can and look then, them up. No, I, but, I'm really ashamed that I don't know the name of the eleven Imam. Was it Askeri? Okay, okay. Wait. L Look him up, Armin, but okay. don't don't narrate that list again. It's okay. excruciating. <laughs> so anyway, so back to Jafar. Oh, Askari was eleven. Yeah, so Jafar Sadiq was number six, right? Um, and he was the most important, or, or number five for Ismailis. Sorry, Hadi was but there. he's he's one of the most important ones because he is where a lot of this uh, these narratives about Muhammad's life and how Shia should practice their religion, not Sunnis, but Shia should practice their religion. A lot of that comes from the narrative of Jafar Sadiq. Now, here is where it's interesting, where it's not just a theological difference. So it, it's not that they just pledged allegiance and they just stayed together for the sake of the Ummah. Jafar Sadiq is a descendant not only of Ali, right, and Fatima, but also of Abu Bakr. Now, how is that? Right? After uh, Abu Bakr died, right, the widow of Abu Bakr, whose name was Asma, um, Ali married her. And when Ali married her, uh, he adopted Abu Bakr's son, whose name was Muhammad. So Muhammad ibn Abu Bakr was... Uh, Abu Bakr's biological son and Ali's adopted son. Right. So this is a guy 
again, like just it goes beyond just working together for the sake of the Ummah. So Muhammad bin Abu Bakr uh, is the uh, his biological father is Abu Bakr and his adopted father is Ali. So for two guys who absolutely did not like each other, Muhammad is kind of uh, Muhammad bin Abu Bakr is the other thing. So so Muhammad bin Bakr, his great granddaughter was the mother of Jafar Sadiq. Right, so so it comes from both sides. So Wait, what, you, that, what is the main point that you're trying to make? I lost because I was looking. What is what is the main point that you're trying the to make? The main point that I'm trying to make is that when we say that Ali only pledge allegiance for the sake of keeping the Ummah together, that's not just it. He actually adopted the son of Abu Bakr. He married Abu Bakr's widow. The son of Abu Bakr. All of those to, was for creating unity. Come on. Anyways. He adopted his kid, Armin. And then the kid well, became one the of his generals. I mean, the ki- his kid, Abu Bakr's kid, eventually. Because great- Ali was so, again, this is your narrative. Ali, because Ali was just so kind. He was forgiving to the people that wronged him the most. He was we just his about, pure heart. We talked about the aftermath okay. of Ahmed's death and why that gave some strong credence to I'm the I'm just Shia telling views. you what Shia will tell you. But we you need know, to get I, to I, the I most important figure in Shia Islam, which is not Ali. Yeah. I we, talked to a Shia scholar we, who trained in Qom who did not know this. Okay. You actually didn't know this. So most Shias that I've talked to, they don't even know this. They don't know that uh, that Ali actually adopted, uh, one of his sons was actually the adopted. Uh, was. I actually read son. this in a thing in this book. Where was no. this? Uh, this is a book. This is a very fun book, by the way. If you, Is it showing mirror image or right? No, it's showing mirror image. So it's not. It's called... Uh, this is a very easy read because most of the other sources are very, um, you know, tough to read. This one is Muhammad, his life based on the earlier sources by Martin Links. And just quote, I don't think it's showing mirror image. Hold it up again. Oh, yeah, it is. It okay, is showing right. mirror image. So, anyway. so that's why I read it. So, oh, you have a symmetrical face. I couldn't even tell. <laughs> um, that's beauty, by the way. Uh, okay, thanks. Because you're Shia. Anyway, go on. Yeah. <laughs> Ex Shia. What was I saying? You lost my chain of thread. Oh. Talking about the book. No, but I was oh, fuck. I was saying we need to talk. We need to get to, okay. So Ali is this is this is uh, a lot of people might find it surprising, but the most important person in to and again a lot of Shias would get angry for me saying this. The most important person in Shia Islam is neither Muhammad or Ali. It's yeah. who Hussein. Yeah, Hussein, which doesn't even enter the story until later. So Hussein enters the game. What happens? Do you want to get to that, or do you have anything? Yeah, else? yeah. I but I, I, yeah, yeah. But I want to talk about another place where the Shia narrative fails. Like when they talk about, oh, he just did this for that. So okay. not only did he marry the widow and adopt the kid, uh, later on, Jafar Sadiq actually was the teacher of the founders of at least two. Of the Sunni Mathabs. I'm, so, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing yeah. this as a very important point. I, I mean, think it's a very important point. I think she is. I mean, I could. If she is could hire me, I could come up with a million excuses for all. No, no, no. I'm not trying to. That's not <laughs> the only point, Armin. Right. The point is this that when we talk about all these massive differences between Shias and Sunnis, when we actually go back and we look at these people for all of their familial spats that they had, that families have, at the, at the, and then they obviously did at that time, right? For all of that, no. the, the main. The, the main um, founders of the four schools of thought in Sunni Islam were students of the sixth Shia Imam. So right? I actually know, I actually know what the Shias will tell you this. 
They, uh, I would tell no, you about this. This is something that's agreed upon no, by both Sunnis and Shias. I know, and Shias relatives is like, look, our imams are so good that even Sunnis cannot deny how no, good no, no, they that, are. That's not why I'm saying it. I'm not saying it because but, she, of but course, I, she is going to. I just don't think this is a, that that. I mean, I get we're gonna have our disagreements. I, I don't, no, no, I don't no, no, think no. that's impo- that's important. I, I actually agree with you. It's not important if you're mm-hmm. trying to argue against Shias. But I'm not talking about who's winning the which side of the debate. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying from our point of view, forget about their arguments. Forget about what the Shias going to say, Sunni's going to say. This is actually just yeah. historic. It's it's a very. Um, I mean, there it, was people having relationship with each other. That's what I would expect. But, yeah, the, uh, not okay. only that, but theological um, kinship. With each other as right, well, right? Because actually, most of the theological drift came a lot later, though, right? I mean, even until Jafar Sadiq, the main opposition was like, "Oh, Ali should have been the successor, but Abu Bakr got it." Oh, yeah. I, you know, that was that was the main thing, even up at that point. This whole idea of like we have a di- like we are following a different theology and different religion, it came a lot later. Mm. Um, to, even to that day, they didn't see it as a new religion or a different branch of Islam, right? They just like we have yeah. some political differences, right? Sure, yeah, but, yeah. but just generally, just for the sake of the record, uh, Abu Hanif, uh, like uh, uh, the Hanafi school of thought, uh, the Madhab and the Maliki uh, Madhab, uh, both of their founders were actually students of Jafar Sadiq, who was a sixth Shia Imam. So, so there are differences. Uh, politically and everything like that, they all used to hang out together. It was right. beyond just for you know. And Sunnis might remind you, Sunnis might remind you that some of these imams were great scholars, and they would remind you that they never themselves said that they're imams, right? Yeah. They say this is some Shia bullshit that they just made up, and they call these twelve people imam, even though now, they. That is that's a good point. Yeah, that right. that is the right point. That's that's right. That that is the counter argument that they would give. But yeah. again, I'm not talking about counter. So Sunnis were like, yeah, Jafar Sadiq, he was a scholar. We recognize him as a great scholar, and we follow his teachings because he made some good points. So I just fu- find it. So, yeah, no, I, no, but let me let me actually say, finish this point. And they're like, so fucking what? There are many other scholars out there, right? Mm-hmm. But the, but the Shias are saying, which is ridiculous in the eyes of Sunnis, is that these imams are infallible. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? They are, they're not infallible. They're not imams. They never said they're imams. They never said that they're infallible. You're just pulling it out of your ass. Uh, but just because they're the son of, the son, the son of, uh, you know, f- few generations after Muhammad, you guys sound like a monarchy. You know, this is what Islam came to destroy. Uh, and you guys are basically copying, uh, the way of the monarchs. But go on. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just think that whenever I have conversations, these are things that people don't really know. And when you tell them, uh, then uh, if it doesn't make them completely think that, okay, these are two, uh, uh, that they were super, super friendly, mm-hmm. it at least makes them think, okay, that the divisions weren't as severe as right. we have eventually built them up to be. Just, that, that's all I'm saying. Historically, they weren't. Right. Just to, just to make a point. Historically, is in quotes. Mahmoud, yeah, is saying, Mahmoud is asking, could you please discuss how Sh- Shias became a minority compared to Sunnis? But like I said, there was no Shia Sunni at this point. Okay, Shia became a later, the whole idea of Shiism was an, an, an invention, this whole 12 moment stuff. And it was just Islam back then. And this Shia, Shiism, because it was an opposition to mainstream Islam, of course it's going to be a minority because... It's the opposition to what's mainstream, right? 
And that's no, what Armin. I so I, I don't think that that's it. I think there's a very simple reason that Shias were a minority, and uh, Sunnis are a majority. Shias, Shias didn't have an Omer. Right? <laughs> they didn't have a, no. It's no. it's as simple as that. Right. Uh, Omer is responsible. <laughs> For the spread of Islam, Omar was very, very heavily Sunni-leaning direction. He was right. one of the pioneers of Sunni but, Islam. But at that and point, he, there was no Shia Sunni when Omar was there, spreading. There, there may not have been. Right. But, the, but when he went and he spread the Islam, his what he aligned with, mm. he aligned with Abu Bakr. He aligned with, uh, there were no hadith or collections or anything like that then, right? So those sources hadn't really shown up yet. But uh, the, the theological aspects of Islam that he aligned with... <laughs> So, I, I kind so of feel bad started, for Ali sometimes because you know when Abu Bakr came to power, everyone like yes, we stand behind Abu Bakr. When Omar came to power, everybody stood behind Abu Bakr. When mm-hmm. Osman came to power, actually Osman started some the fucking divisions. But when Ali came to power, even his strongest followers started leaving him one by one. And they, they, yeah, <laughs> so I like poor guy. Like I mean, I will. Once you learn a little bit more about him, you're like, no, fuck him. But. A just general story, I feel like he was wronged by everybody. But go on. But, but that's the thing. And it's not just the fact that Omar was a really, really great warrior and he went and he did a lot of conquests. It's not that he was great and then Ali was just ordinary. Ali wasn't even ordinary. He wasn't even mediocre as a political leader. As a caliph, he was a complete failure. Uh, Osman was a complete failure. <laughs> right. No, Osman, Osman and Osman. Ali were... Big they're failures. known as yeah, politically they were failures. They're they were apparently great people. They're very respected and all that. But uh, both Ali and Uthman were. So, uh, but again, as, but she uh, Ali was, was apparently he was apparently a great uh, spiritual leader. Right, right. Had so, a lot of influence, but his community remained very small because it was very family based. It wasn't based on uh, a, a lot of the conquests and everything. It was more sort of philosophical, and you know he wanted to spread the ideas of Islam. Whereas Omar was going around just holding a sword to people's throats, like ISIS. It, right. ISIS actually so, follows Omar's example. So Abu Bakr and, and uh, Shias think Abu Bakr and Omar were both. Uh, you know, they were powerful rulers, but they were bad Muslims, right? Maybe Omar, they actually admire um, Omar. They, they were both very successful caliphs. Right. Ex- yes, but, but Osman gets every, a lot of hate for being neither a good Muslim and not powerful. Like, he, fought, he started uh, ruling so bad that everything started falling apart. The whole division, you know, the internal you know, war and everything started with Osman until he got killed. Uh, so he was neither a good Muslim nor a great powerful leader. But the Shias would say the reason why Ali wasn't as powerful was because his piety, because he was a good Muslim, because he was always wanting to do the right thing, and the right thing was not always the politically correct thing to do. So they were, he's a non, (laughs) he was like the non politically correct Khalifa, which basically. like the Gandhi of the. Right. And because he always wanted to be fair to people, he started pissing people off. Like even. When his family came asking for favors, he was like, uh, no, I can't give my family favors. I have to be fair. So even his family would turn against him. Like right. the, we have stories that his brother came to him asking for money from, from, from the money of, you know, the government's money to give him a little bit, donate to him. And Ali kept on saying no. And he said, like, just please a little bit. I'm poor. I need money. Uh, and Ali, what he did, which at the time seemed like a very kind thing, very sweet thing to do. But now I think about it, it seems pretty fucking uh, cruel. He took the uh, metal rod and his brother was blind, right? His half brother, I think. 
and he, when his brother was, he had his hand out asking for money. What is the money called from the 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 money that it comes from the wealth of the Ummah? What is it called? Betul Mal, Betul Mal, right? So, and Ali, instead of putting money in his hand, he puts the hot rod, metal rod, in his hand, and his uh, his brother's hands get burnt. And Ali says, "You can't even bear that amount of fire uh, heat on your hand." So imagine how much heat I have to bear in hell if I actually give you, show you some favoritism because you're my brother and I give you the money from the Beitul Mal and give it to you. So they were like, and this is why everybody was against him because of how fair he was, right? Yeah. And and there's another story. I, I just have to tell you another story. These are our childhood stories. There was a, there's a, when Ali was doing like writing out the taxes and putting all the numbers and everything and calculating and trying to do, do doing work that was for the for governing, there's this man that comes to him and he says like I need to talk to you, and Ali asks him, is this a pers- is this a matter regards to governance or is this a personal matter, and the man says this is a personal matter, and Ali turns off the lamp, and takes another lamp on, and he turns on that lamp. And the guy was like, what the fuck? Why do you turn off one lamp and turn on another lamp? It was nighttime, by the way. It was dark. Ali, was, Ali says because the oil from the, that lamp was used from tax money, was the you know, money from, that we collected, and that was supposed, that's supposed to be used for, you know, the, I, I, uh, for governing work. I cannot waste the oil for, that we use for tax from the tax if this is a personal matter. So I'm using the, the oil that I personally paid for for this conversation so I don't waste taxpayers' money. So this is the stories that we hear as, as children about how great Ali was. But anyways, go on. Yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so basically is it, where were we before that? Yeah, so, yeah this whole idea about how uh, Ali was a good spiritual leader but I think that there may be some element of uh, truth to that, that he's tended to be, even though he was a statesman and he was also a warrior. Um, he wanted to really keep the message of Islam and, you know, Muhammad, his cousin, who mm. did this. He wanted to make sure it didn't get lost, you know. So he was about preserving the legacy. So, uh, you know, he, he wasn't as uh, uh, politically inclined as the others, Right as as uh, Abu Bakr and uh, Omar, so just technically politically, he was just not a very successful uh, caliph, and there was a lot of schism and a lot of factionism at the time that uh, that he was caliph, and that's so, which ended up killing him at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, which which ended up killing him. The Khawar- um, Should we get into the Khawarij or is that too much detail? Right well, now? actually, if we're going to talk about Shia and Sunni, we have to talk about Uthman and the, and the war that uh, between him. And- oh my God, this needs to be a two part or three part series, right? I guess. Right, right, but I think that we can touch on that pretty quickly. Okay. So what happened was after Uthman died. Right, so so here the, the, a couple of interesting things happen here. So during uh, Abu Bakr's time is 
um, you know, a lot of the oral, the hadith are collected orally, and there's, that process is happening throughout. When Omar comes on, there's a conquest. Uh, you know, Islam spreads like wildfire right across the region. Uh, when Uthman comes on, the most significant part of his reign was a comp- compilation of the Quran. Canada, so the Quran, he's he's the he's the only thing that Muslims can thank him for because he fucked up everything else. But he's yeah. responsible for the Quran as we know it today. Yeah, which he kind of screwed up too because he, he, <laughs> yeah, he but they don't admit it. that. Yeah, it, it's not uh, the Quran the way it's it's written right now. Right. is not written in the order of revelation. It's not written chronologically. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is like kind of order. I have no idea how they made sense of it or how the people. But the Uthmani, the and Quran is kind of um, it's a, it's not an order of revelation. Everything's like all over the place. So, but it is. But and Aisha had some say in what makes it in the Quran. Did you know that? Uh, well, I mean, she also had a say in what what didn't make it in. Like right. the Rajam verses and stuff. So, yeah, everybody had a say. Osman and Aisha were very close, which is why Aisha was very yeah, but, pissed. But are, if we start going into like how the Quran was compiled, okay, we have go. a whole episode on that, and that is right, right. a whole other topic. That's yeah, yeah. really, really interesting. No, no, but this is this this part is also like, the the relationship between Osman the third Khalifa and Aisha is very important because yeah. when Osman yes, that is when right. when yeah. Osman was killed, Aisha pointed the finger at Ali. Mm-hmm. And which led, led to the war that Aisha and Muawiyah and everybody else started. This is the first. Is this the first civil war? Yeah, yeah this is the first it, civil she, war. She either pointed the finger at him or she said that he didn't do enough to apprehend the thing. So he kind of so was saying, you, you, if you if you're not doing any. Okay, so when Osman was killed, so Osman was assassinated, right? So the first two. The first uh, uh, Khalifa was killed, I think, in, be- in bed. The second. Uh, Khalifa was killed by a non-Muslim. This is the reaching out fortune cookies. He was killed in bed. Right. You know what what they do with fortune? Oh yeah. Okay. No, but but I'm just saying the first two Khalifas died, but the third Khalifa died in a way that was that was a major crisis in Islam. This is the third Khalifa, very short after Muhammad, and the third Khalifa was not killed by disease or just by old age. He was not killed by non-Muslims. He was killed by Muslims. And this is Muslims now starting for the first time killing other Muslims. And this was a huge thing. This is the first sign of major division in the Ummah. You didn't... The, the whole idea of Muhammad was we are an Ummah. We will, we, we're going to become united. We will always stay united. And it's us against non-Muslims forever, right? We we're going to make a super tribe and it's the best tribe and you know we're all going to be united and you know nothing could defeat us as long as we're united, right? And now, mm-hmm. the third Khalifa, he does something, which we're not going to get into the details, which pisses off a lot of Muslims, and they come to his house, and they kill him. And Muslims are like, well, okay, this is the end of Islam, I guess. Muslims killing other Muslims, we're fucked, we're down, everything is done. Uh, and it's Ali, and the whole point of now finally making Ali after Osman's death the Khalifa was this is the guy that everyone loves. I guess we need Ali right now because we are so divided that we need to bring somebody popular into power. 
uh, to make everybody happy again. Like even the people that were like, we need, we want Ali, we want Ali. They weren't shutting up about Ali for all this long. Now, now that there's division, if we make him the Khalifa, now people are going to be like, yay, Ali is finally Khalif, and then we could get hold hands and sing Kumbaya after this, and we're Ummah again, we're united again. But the problem is that. Um, this is where Moavia enters the game, and this is when Aisha uses her um, hate for Ali as an excuse for saying to Ali, like, you, uh, you, they killed Osman, right? Osman had a good relationship with Aisha, and you either bring, you, you have to hold people, you have to f- give us the people that killed him. And if you don't... No, you have to, you have to complete the investigation because there is Yeah, but there was a conspiracy right theory call. that you are, you could be responsible if you're not... like if, what, Why are you not do, investigating this and not bringing them forward? Are you responsible? Did you plan this? Did you... Mm-hmm. Did, did you... Are you in the cahoots with the people that killed Osman, right? And this is when Moavia also jumps on the bandwagon. An, an important part about Osman being the third Khalifa is the Osman's family also were a really rich and wealthy family, right? And Moavia was also is from the same family, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Umayyad family, right? Yeah, they're, they're from the Umayyad, Yazid, Moavia, they're all and the, part the of the key, Umayyad. The, the interesting thing, you know, a lot of people think like, you know, whenever there's a revolution, things change a little bit, but people with the wealth and power and connections always come back to power again, right? And Osman being the third Khalifa was a confirmation of that because their family was the family that was the mo- one of the most important one in Quraysh and ruled Kaaba and everything else. But with Islam coming, they felt like all of that is over. But it seems like when Osman became the third Khalifa, like, hey, look, the people that used to rule <laughs> this land now rule it again. So apparently the people with money and power will always find their way back up, right? And Osman, when Osman died, Moavia which was from the same family, he also, he again tried to, Ali became the Khalifa, and Moabiyah was like, okay, our family was wronged, we were killed, like, he he sneaked his way back into power, and after Ali's death, uh, Moabiyah managed to, again, there's a lot of politics here, there's a, there's a battle, the, there's a right, so, but, just uh, Let's just uh, but, summarize it really really quickly, like, so, so, so what Moabiyah does hmm. is that he teams up with Aisha to, to Right. Get into war with uh, Ali, which was like the first civil war uh, within Islam, right? Right. Uh, because uh, uh, Ali did not satisfy uh, their what they wanted. What I they had her. They had her. Sh- they had Osman's bloody shirt as um, as a rallying cry, right? right like right. they they so, they acted like they acted like they wanted justice for Osman, but what they really wanted was to take power out from. Away from right, Ali, right, right. so yeah. but basically they had a rivalry with him because you know Ali was like I, I I don't know who killed him and they're like find out who killed him and so they had this sort of fight yeah. and and eventually uh, that um, settles eventually Ali dies his sons Hassan and Hussein grow up um, they kill Ali they kill Ali when he was praying by by a sword by poison sword on his. On his from in the back of He's his head, and right. Moavia was attacked as well at the same time. But Moavia survives, which yeah. a lot of Shia say this was whole Moavia's plan. But he had a f- staged attack on himself just to, 
just to say that it wasn't me. But there's dispute about that. Right. But so but next, and then, next generation and then, now it, the Omeyads are very, so, very so, cool. uh, Armin. We gotta we gotta stick but, to the main okay, stuff because we have okay, a half okay. hour left. Okay, okay. We have wanna, yeah. we have answer, we have questions that we need to ask. Right. right. So so let's do this. We could probably continue the, uh, some of this in another uh, episode too. But. But let's uh, let's just uh, so so let, let's so, let's let's make it a, this a three piece process, right? So the first the first episode about Shia versus Sony was the the early history, right? The mm. second episode, well, let's do it about the main theological differences, right? And then the third episode about uh, we'll make it in modern day political contemporary. Differences. Yeah, Contra- exactly. I difference. think that's perfect. Okay. So, so right now, just to continue with this, so now that the next generation comes in, right? So Muavia, again teamed <laughs> up with Aisha to wage war against Ali, is uh, now he is he has a son named Yazid, right? So Yazid is the next caliph. You know, Muavia becomes a caliph, the Umayyad caliph. This is the name that for, makes this this name Yazid makes Shias. Blood boil. Like they, they hate this name Yazid more than giving away the ending before. More than no, it's I'm building anticipation. This guy is hated more than the devil. More than like the word iblis doesn't, which means the devil, Satan doesn't make triggers them. It triggers triggers, them. The word Yazid triggers Shia into a snowflake. Right. Yeah. If if you call somebody like a Yazid, that's the word. Like, anyways, go on. Yeah. Okay, so so the advocate, so Yazid uh, now is the Umayyad caliph, uh-huh. right? Hussein, uh, who is Ali's son, so you've got Ali's son and you've got Yazid's son, right? Uh, sorry, Muawiyah's son is Yazid and Ali's son is Hussein. Hussein is right now uh, he's in Mecca, okay? So so he's now they're opposing sides, right? Now this guy. So Yazid is uh, part of the. This is now we have okay. So just to where we are in history, we had Muhammad. And then this, the period of the fourth Khalifa, the Sunnis refer to as the Rashidun. This is the period of the rightfully guided ones, right? They say the rightfully guided. This is the Sunni terminology. So the first fourth Khalifa are done and over with. Now we're, we're entering a new age, and, and which is marked by an empire called the Umayyads, right? So just to see where we are in history, first you have Muhammad, then you have the fourth Khalifa or the Rashidun, then you have the Umayyad dynasty, then you have the Abbasid dynasty, then you have a whole bunch of other dynasties. Um, I mean, the the Ottomans, and then you have the end of the... Right. But so, the, Uthman, the end of the, third, the Islamic the Empire. The caliph was part of the Umayyad. Like yes. He was part of the Umayyad clan. So but Muawiyah would be the, the first of the Umayyad dynasty. So this is the beginning of the Umayyad dynasty because Osman didn't turn it into a dynasty. Muawiyah turned into... kind of did what the Shias do with the inheritance. Like, my son is going to be... He promised that Hassan and then Hussein is going to be the caliph when he dies. But then he 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 changed that and he said no my son Yazid will be the caliph after I die and but by saying that he turned uh, the Islamic empire into a dynasty so this is the beginning right. of the Islamic the Umayyad dynasty but go on right so so now Yazid is in power and now Yazid is in power and Hussein who's Ali's son Muhammad's grandson uh, is in Mecca right yeah. and Yazid wants Hussein to pledge allegiance to him. A lot of this stuff is about pledging allegiance. Right. And uh, Hussein's in Mecca. He's like, hey, no, no, screw you. I'm not going to do Yeah, this. because it was promised to him. Again, right, right. Hassan, Hassan, which was the second imam of uh, the son of Ali, Hassan and Hussein are both 
uh, Ali's sons. They accepted Moavia. They pledged. They accepted Moavia. They made peace with Moavia with the promise that after Moavia's death, Hassan, which is Ali's son, will become Khalif. Right. And when when they when they backed when they said yeah when Hassan died and then now Hussein is alive Hussein is the second son right, so, so Hassan and Muawiya had a treaty had a treaty right? that, that okay now Hassan is dead when you die I will be Khalifa but now when when they backed up they they basically uh, I, they had a good they, they had an excuse not a good excuse but then when Muawiya died Yazid actually became Khalifa and Yazid now demands allegiance from Hussein, right? right. And actually, the, the treaty wasn't actually that Hassan would become. The treaty was that that uh, Hassan had said, okay, I will accept Muawiyah, you as caliph. Right. I will accept you as a caliph, but as long as you don't name a successor. And the successor should be um, wasn't uh, the, it, the, no, wasn't it that Hassan will become? No, oh. no, it was that, that that do not name a successor. We want the world, the the, the moments or the believers to choose a successor after that. Right. So you're appointing yourself, but you can't appoint a successor. But then what happened was that when Yazid came around and Yazid became appointed, uh, became appointed the caliph, the successor to Muawiyah, mm. then Hussein was like, okay, well, fuck you, you know, like we, we had a treaty. You screwed it over. You weren't supposed to name a successor. I don't accept you. Right. right? So my brother accepted your dad, sure, but I'm not going to accept you. Right. right? So now, now this, is a, this is a problem. Now, Yazid is pissed, and Yazid's like, nope, you need to accept me. And he's like, no, and he, he wanted to kind of force him uh, to do it, to, to accept him. And this so, is the great betrayal of the Kufa, the people right. from Kufa. So now what happens is, that Kufa in Iraq, right? In Kufa, there, there are a bunch of people in Kufa who are uh, sympathize, who are Shia, basically followers of Ali, right? I mean, well, this term wasn't they, really there then yeah. either. They basically um, supported Hussein. They were like, Hussein, you should be like, you should. They supported Ali and his family, right? And they they agreed that this was robbed from Ali, and Hussein should be Khalifa. They, they, so they tell Hussein, they're like, Hussein, they send him a letter. Yeah, they send him a letter. They're like, come here. Well, of course they sent it. They couldn't call him. <laughs> it's not like they were on fucking WhatsApp. It's like, oh, dude, right. new phone. Who it's, is? No, but he. he so, so they. Yeah, no, but where? No, but where? The point is that he wasn't in Kufa. Where was Hussein at this time? Hussein was in Mecca. Okay, yeah, he was in Mecca at the time. So he's in Mecca, and then you know they send him the was letter. They're like, hey, dude. No, okay. it was in Mecca. Okay. I, I don't know. No, one of those. I think it was in Mecca. Okay. So, so he tells him, and he's like, "Hey, come on over." Uh, over here, we're going to go and we're going to get this Yazid guy out of power. We're going to revolt against they say, him. Yeah, they said, like, you have no idea how many people here will die for you. If you just show up here, we'll just pick up... Lead, lead just this lead us, rebellion. We'll, read this rebellion. We all will pick up swords for you and we will destroy Yazid and we will make you Khalif. Just somehow, right? So yeah. they're like, these people can't be... The Kufites, the Kufites can't be trusted. So, but Hussein went... Yeah, so Hussein decides to go, mm. and uh, he keeps on going. Um, then he travels, grabs his whole family, grabs a whole bunch of his uh, companions, um, and he had traditionally supposed to have had seventy-two uh, companions, uh, including there yeah, seventy-two who died. male. No, there, there were probably more, but there were seventy-two who died. Seventy-two is a big name and a big number. And, yeah. Um, I don't know. The Shias are obsessed with seventy-two. They, there was an Iranian bombing also that seventy-two people died. Right, yeah. so so they go towards uh, Kufa, and then this is where the famous incident of Karbala happens. So Karbala is a city in Iraq. Okay, it's close to the river, and uh, they are um, they're, they're basically Hussein sets up camp there, and 
um, then these guys, Yazid's people, right? They send like thousands of guys. So the whole army <laughs> surround him. Okay, and, and this, th- by the way, this number of Yazid's army is so exaggerated by Shia that it's fucking ridiculous. Like they keep increasing the number. So Hussein is. What seven- is the number that you heard? Okay, I I hear so many different numbers, but one of the numbers that were that, that we were given in school. We had like a secret atheist math teacher that calculated this number. Of those secret atheist math <laughs> We had a private class with him and he was like, he was showing us how ridiculous these numbers were because he put Yaziz armies. He said if all of the soldiers of Yaziz were standing like shoulder to shoulder, they wouldn't, based on the number that they're giving us, they wouldn't fit in that desert and they would be visible from space. <laughs> right? So, like, because the Shias wanted to say how poor Hussein was and how evil Yazid was. So there were, like, 72 people against, like, a gazillion people. And apparently they managed to hold off that fight for an entire... How many? How long did that fight last? I forgot. For a long time. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway... I like the way you're coloring all this stuff, and it's kind of cool. I'm just kind of giving like the drive, <laughs> but it's like the incident, and that's what makes the whole story. Like right. the whole Karbala incident it would be kind of like a just a regular war story otherwise. But so, unless the, you bring the the horse crying and the you know all of the southern throwing the blood towards the sky, all of those the arrow and the baby, detailed. the guy, yeah. the guy trying to get water, and his hands yeah. get cut, and then his other hands get so, cut, and he tries to get water with his teeth, with grabbing yeah. it with his teeth, and then so, head gets cut off. There's okay. Just this one battle. There's like so. Th- you have no idea. This this battle between Yazid and Hussein. Th- there's Shias are so obsessed with this battle, and it seems like every second of this battle was documented. And there are so many stories about different parts of this battle. Every couple, every love story, every tragedy that you could think of happened in this battle. And yeah. you could fill out so many books about the alleged stories that happened in this battle. It was just... Uh, one- they, they keep on building, too. You start even in my own lifetime of uh, being a Shia, I have heard stories added. I'm like, okay, where the fuck did that come from? So, But in any case, so so yeah, so this battle, let's just do this and let's wrap it because we're, right. we're close to the but, ending but, of but, the- Okay, before you say the story, this battle was also what defined Shia's love. Okay, so like I said, you eventually define, like not even after that, like this story is what created the identity of Shiism, right? And this became, you know how, if if you think about the origin, the story of Islam, the main story that captures the attention, that makes the identity of a Muslim, of a, yeah. when Islam is when 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 the. So when the first verse of Islam came down, Ekra all of that came down, right? That's when it's, that's the most the important story. That was the Islam gets defined uh, as, you know. But when it comes mm. to the Shia identity and what makes, what creates the Shia identity is this battle in Karbala between Yazid and Hussein. So go on, what right. happened? So, so what happens is that they basically uh, seize them, they cut off all the water supply, they start, uh, they, they put their soldiers by the river so that nobody's able to get uh, water, right? Um, and uh, for several days, these people, for three days actually, I mean, they arrive there from, uh, this is where the month of Muharram, so the first month of the Islamic year, Muharram uh, is is celebrated by, which should be celebrated, like the Chinese New Year, the Gregorian New Year, all of that. But uh, in uh, for Shias, uh, the first of Muharram is a tragic day. 
because they mourn the first days because this is when all of this stuff happens. So the journey happens. Right? They get to uh, Karbala. Uh, Yazid's army comes in and they sieges them and, and, and they siege them and and now they're basically surrounded. They're cut. They cut off water on the seventh of Muharram and for three days, right? Hussein and all of his family, uh, his kids, all of that, they don't have any water. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, eventually, after a while, you don't have water. You got to go fight for it. So the third day, after three days of no water, on the tenth of Muharram, which is also known as Ashura. Right, Ashura is the, the the seminal event that you've seen pictures of right, of everybody right. beating yeah. themselves, self-flagellating. Yeah. You either go like you either go like this, or you go like. Oh yeah, actually, yeah, they can't see, they can't see you, but yeah, you yeah. beat your chest, yeah. you use blades, you make yourself bleed uh, from uh, for Hussein and all of that. So you do that, and and this is kind of I think the closest thing that's relatable to it is Jesus's crucifixion. Ah, right? I was going to get to that in the theological episode, but don't go into that there. But, right? Okay, so I won't go into it too much. Right. But but essentially, what happens is that Hussein sacrifices his entire life. I mean, he knows that he's going to get killed, but he's right. like, I gotta, I gotta. He I gotta died for it. our sins, kind of. Instead because, of pledging allegiance, he could have pledged allegiance and totally had water for his entire family, all of this stuff. But apparently God shows him heaven. He's like, this is where your entire family's going, dude. So it's okay. And and he goes out there and he um, sacrifice. He fights them instead of pledging allegiance. Fights them. Uh, all of them get killed except for the, the women and the kids. And then the women and the kids and, are taken. And to- the four and the four for mom. And and yeah, then Al-Abidin because was, he was a kid. Imam, He survives because he was sick. Oh yeah, he was sick, and he was right? he so, was a child also. He wasn't that young. Okay. He was just ill. Okay, okay, right. So so then after that, he was basically a successor in uh, in Shiism. They became the Imam. Right. Um, anyway, so okay. so this so, happens in Karbala. So Hussein, uh, the the family of Muhammad, the Ahlul Bayt, right, which the Shia revere, hmm. is completely massacred by the Caliph. Of the 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 Islamic of Islam, the right. Islamic Caliphate, and the Caliph who is Yazid. This is so tragic. Tra- okay, so Ali was killed. Now Fatima was killed, and now Hussein is killed by right. by the by the powers that be. Right, which is so tragic. And this is again goes into the identity of Shias. Why and why they always think they're always oppressed. Uh, and uh, which they see as a sign of God, but which we'll get to later, I guess, in another episode. Yeah, and then, but, and then Ali, Ali's daughter, uh, who's Zainab, right? She goes around, and after this wait, whole thing happens... Not, okay, yeah. you missed a part. Okay, so there, there's a difference in narrative here between Sunnis and Shias, right? Because Sunnis don't... A lot of Sunnis don't claim Yazid and Moavia as, as people they revere. So I, I fear, see some of them do, but most of them don't. Most of them are like... You know, I don't know why Shias are, are angry with us for killing Hussein. We don't, we don't revere Yazid. We don't revere Moavia. We just only revere the first four. You know, mm-hmm. Abu Bakr. I mean, we don't even revere them that much compared to Muhammad. It's the, revering people. Yeah, eventually Yazid was not liked by any of them. They, right. Even the Sunnis largely. I mean, re, re, even when it comes to the fourth Khalifa, the, the Sunnis say that we don't take it as far as Shias do because Shias take it the, the reverence to the point of worship. According to Sunnis, uh, which worship is only for God, but we get to that in the theological episode. And I know a lot of Shias are going to say like I'm making sh- shit up, but I'll I'll address that. Um, but the difference in narrative is that um, some people say, and this was not when I was learning this in school in Iran. This was never told to me because Yazid is made to me- make 
to look like the most evil figure you could ever imagine. But I realize that there is an alternative narrative where Yazid is bad and he is wronging Hussein, but he didn't order for Hussein to be killed. His his army commander, he did that without Yazid asking him. Mm-hmm. And that yes, I I was shocked when I read this because to me Yazid is like oh pure, pure evil. But when I read some of some other narratives, Yazid actually cried when he saw when they when when they brought Hussein's head and they threw it on the ground, and apparently Hussein uh, Hussein ver- looks like Muhammad, Hussein is the grandson of uh, Muhammad, and the idea was that he has, he looks a lot like Muhammad. So people that remember Muhammad would see Muhammad in Hussein, um, and apparently when this happened, somebody—I think it was Zainab—I think she said this or somebody else—that this is the face that I remember Muhammad used to kiss when when he when Muhammad played with him as a child when he was a child, right? Yeah, this is so a legend. This is a legend that that like look, this is what you do. To the face of the person that your prophet used to kiss when, because the story is that Hussein was Muhammad's grandchild and Muhammad used to play with him and he would kiss him on the face. And, and when he said this, everybody started crying and the Kufa, oh, we forgot to mention the, the Kufa, the Kufites, when they, they, they have betrayed Hussein, they never showed up at battle, right? Mm. But when they saw his head, they all felt so guilty and miserable. Everybody was crying and they realized what a huge crime they have committed that they abandoned him when they needed him. And everybody mm. was crying and apparently Yazid was crying. And Yazid, and this is in the narrative that the Lord Shias would not ever agree with, but Yazid says, if I was there, I would have never let this happen. Mm. Uh, but she, even the Shias that say, okay, if he said that, why didn't he punish those? Uh, and some suddenly say that well, he didn't punish those because that would cause more division. So again, a lot of a lot of anyway, yeah, yeah. Th- that could go on. Those, those are all the details. But essentially, the Karbala, the, the, the first civil war between uh, what what is it? What are now called Shia and Sunni was between um, uh, Aisha and Muawiyah, Yazid's father, and Ali. And then the second one was with their kids between Yazid and, and Hussein. Yes, so this is so the Hussein second civil became, war, right? Right. So Hussein became uh, a martyr, and uh, he yeah. is uh, commemorated to this day by Shia. It's one of the most important things. Um, and again, it's like the Jesus sacrifice, and we'll get to that in another episode. Yeah, the reason, uh, why, say, the reason why it looks, uh, looks very similar to us is because he he went into that, according to Shias at least, he knew that he was going to die. But he mm. walked into that war anyways for a higher for to save Islam, right? Right. And right, the, right. So the, he, did, he the, was a savior. He, he saved the faith from the uh, by his the distortion by making himself a martyr. Like for him, he knew he was going to die, but he knew that this will become a symbol and he did it for the sake of preserving Islam and the sins that we refer to is the sins of the Muslims, the the Kufites, right? Is that how you mm-hmm. refer to them Kufites? I'm going to just say Kufites. Yeah. Kufites but, is fine. So it's basically he died for the sins of the Muslims again to preserve Islam, and to that uh, he was a like a lamb going there to be sacrificed, and that's very much Jesus-like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not that anybody's again. A lot of these things, a lot of people think they're copying each other, 
I, I don't think they're not co- they're copying each other. I just think there are certain narratives that just work so well when it comes to the power of memes that you see them keep repeating themselves. And I will touch on a lot of those things um, when we go into the next episode. Another, uh, yeah. A lot of examples for that. But one thing about this story that is important that you're going to see come up in the in the next episode is that this the significance in the story shows itself about how much it influences Shia's theology, which will be in the second episode, but also in the third episode, how much politically this story is used. And, and even modern, like how, uh, how this story influenced many countries' politics throughout history by referencing to the story and using the story to... Uh, to, to, to gain people's sympathy and allegiance. So we, we'll touch on that as well. But we should just quickly uh, refer, go to the questions. Mm-hmm. I have some of them written down here. But if um, right. can, can you guys... There's say- also kind of a, a, just a little tidbit for people. I, if I know correctly, this whole controversy about whether Mecca was in the Negev Desert or whether it was That's in the Hijaz a different episode, yeah. actually was related to Yazid uh, as well. Right. So uh, Abdullah ibn Abdul Zubair was like one of the he was also in Mecca at the time, so Mecca, maybe Petra, I don't know. But anyway, so so he also uh, got into a spat. I'm not going to go into the details with uh, Yazid, and then Yazid eventually sent an army, and that's when the Kaaba caught fire. So this guy actually moved the Kaaba entirely, and then the whole the the supposition is that he moved it all the way south to the Hijaz, even though it was in the Negev Valley before. Anyway, anyway, forget that. But, but Yazid was Yazid caused a lot of a lot of a lot of shit in in Islamic history, and probably I think he's uh, if there's anybody who is uh, anti-Islam and who completely destroyed um, Islam in any way, I, I think Yazid is probably the one guy who did it. Um, whether it's for Shias with Garbala or whether it was this whole issue that he had with uh, Abdullah ibn Abdul Zubair, uh, whatever it was. Anyway. You know, some people in the live chat are pointing out how much I, like, I enjoy these stories. Some guy is saying, um, Saffron Butter is saying, Armin, you're Shia through and through. Uh, I, yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, you still, uh, do you still have a lot of the Shia remnant thing in you, the storytelling and the legends? Well, I actually, this is what I always, what I was saying, Armin is practically jumping in and saying, but this is, this <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people, actually, I don't hide this. I think Islam is a lot more fun as an atheist, right? Yeah, the yeah. same way Viking ideology is fun if you don't believe in it. I think, like, for example, the Viking, Vikings were probably, if they were still around, they would be even worse than Islam as a, as a barbaric, uh, violent religion. But we, yeah. well, we get to enjoy them because nobody believes in it. And, it just, you know, their gods, Thor and Odin and Valhalla, is just fun now because there's nobody being killed in, the, in that name. Or the Mayan religion, they're fun because they're just mythology and nothing else. So, yeah, I like, I like these stories. And I think that if more... A lot of Muslims think like, oh, there's something beautiful to this. I don't want to leave all this. If you introduce to them that, well, you don't have to believe in myth myth to be able to enjoy. If you could introduce more Muslims that the fact that, you know, these myths could still be enjoyable if you, if you still, if you acknowledge that they're bullshit and they're not true, they're still, they could still be enjoyed. And like, oh, wait, so I don't have to give up the, the things that I like. Without, if I'm an atheist, I can still enjoy mythology. Like, then it might be easier for people to leave them. So yeah, right. these stories so, are fun for me, and yeah. I I do and I agree. I do know the Shia sides a little bit more because I was raised with Shia uh, propaganda, 
but you know, but the interest, but the good thing, the interesting thing is that the Sony parts become more interesting to me because I was brainwashed with the Shia narrative because of the differences, right? So every time you learn something about the Sony side, and you're like, oh my god, I, this is this is not the way I learned it. So even the Sony part becomes more interesting because you keep comparing it with what you were told. But go on, Ali. Yeah, so um, I yeah, I, I think I'm just going to go on to the patron questions, right? And I think uh, there's a lot of people over here that are like, oh, you guys are you guys just talking about fairy tales or these just myths? Yeah, of course. I mean, this is part of the mythology. We're we're actually discussing the differences between Shia and Sunni. So we're not talking about what we believe and what our thoughts are. We're talking about uh, you know what the different accounts are based on Shias and Sunnis and what their beliefs are. So we're we're enjoying these stories. Obviously, they're a lot of fun, but we, we're aware that they're stories and we're not saying that any of them are like necessarily authentic but another uh, thing is that if you know these stories uh, you know when you talk when we're when we're trying to re- part of our activism is reaching out to muslims and telling them why this is all fucking bullshit right and yeah. a lot of the times muslims don't listen assume that any everybody that thinks islam is bullshit hasn't really looked into it that much, right? Yeah. But when you start talking about these stories and show that you're interested in them and talk about the details, this will make many Muslims, not all of them, drop their guard. And they're like, okay, these people cannot be hating that hateful. They actually are talking about these Islamic stories and they're interested in it. And they don't seem ignorant because they know about these stories more than most Muslims do. So yeah. it makes Muslims drop their guard and actually listen to, okay, then what's your, pro- if you like these stories, then what's your problem with Islam then? So because they always just put all people that disagree with Islam as people that don't know Islam, this is surprising to a lot of them. And they start actually paying attention to the problems that you have with Islam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so knowing these stories helps you reach out to Muslims a lot, a lot more. But go on, Ellie. Right. So Daniel Yerk is asking, uh, what happened to the guy that brought uh, her back? And he's talking about Aisha, the incident of the necklace. I don't know. Um, uh, what happened to him? And uh, did they kill him? So I just looked no. at his his name was uh, Safwan Ibn al-Muattal al-Sulami. Uh, he was not killed. No. Uh, he was just accused, falsely accused of adultery. And I guess when the that verse came down from Surah 24... That kind of resolved everything. Yeah, if you ki- if you had done. killed him, it would have been very bad for Muhammad because he would have been the it would be an admission that he's guilty and that right, Aisha right. So, slept with him. Right. So he was the one who was accused of that. But eventually, uh, I'm seeing that he ended up somewhere in Armenia, and some people even say that he was uh, he became governor of Armenia, and then he he died over there. So wow, I didn't nothing know that. too significant or interesting. Hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. So Dirty Dancer is saying this is some. Jerry Springer shit. <laughs> there should be. Hey, you know, eventually it all starts out with. There should be like a comedy video. I saw one of Jesus, right? Like Jesus, like in a Jerry Springer format, telling uh, it's uh, to no to 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 his father. To what's his father's like Miriam's husband's name? Uh, Joseph. Joseph, yeah, yeah. Joseph. They tell him he, he's not your son. He jumps off the stage. Uh, you know, there should be some comedy uh, like that, like, like Ali and Abu Bakr and Muhammad on the couch with Jerry Springer. And I was like, thinking of like when I read uh, <laughs> no. Fire and Fury, uh, the the book about um, 
the Trump White House. I, I kind of when I was looking at the rivalry between Steve Bannon and Jared Kushner and Ivanka, uh, that actually reminded me. It was like it was like Trump was Mohammed, and then he had his friend, just Steve Bannon. Then he had a son-in-law who was Ali or Jared Kushner, and his daughter Ivanka. No, and, that's not and much. Ivanka, yeah, and they were actually they had a lot of rivalry, like Steve Bannon and. And uh, you know, Ivanka and Jared were fighting for attention. It was actually really interesting. I, was, some, I don't know why. I some people mentioned Game of Thrones, and I mean, huge Game of Thrones fans. And I think we should try to see if it could connect because as somebody said, Ali Ali is Ned, Ned Stark. I think he would be the closest. Uh, when I when I first saw Game of Thrones, I was just looking at it. Was like, this reminds me of all of those stories I heard when I was a kid about right. uh, about you know these uh, Islamic history. But right. Anyway, next question. Let's move on. Well, there uh, was... We only have like five more minutes, so okay. No, question. come on. Uh, ten more minutes, okay? Uh, okay, but we, we don't have we don't have too many questions. A lot of these are comments. I, I wrote some. So, I wrote some of them down. Okay. Okay, so Rational Guard is uh, saying, do you two have personal opinions on what is likely to be factually true rather than considered what is sahih? And and yeah. Yes, actually, we, Ooh, we've we're gonna talked have, about that. We're gonna have well, episodes. we've talked about that quite a bit. So right. we've gone back and uh, in the last uh, podcast that we did about Quranic criticism, uh, we talk a lot about um, which sources are true, which sources are not, what aspects of his and what contemporary historians say, non-Muslim historians say about it. So check out that episode. Uh, it's the last uh, live stream we did. It was called Quranic Criticism. So do check it out when you get the chance. Right. Um, Uday... Asked, there's a rumor that Sunni Saudi secretly funds Jewish Israels to keep Shia Iran. Okay, Uday, ask this question when we have the the third one, which is the political third one. one. Yeah, yeah. Do that. so uh, let's bookmark it. Yeah, so Dirty um, Dancer is saying, is the U.S. intervention again? That would be for the third episode. Uh, do you two have personal? There was something. Oh. Yeah, Personal so, opinions I, is like, uh, oh yeah, I, you read that already. Go so, ahead. so Southern California deplorable Henry Lindemann, <laughs> hey, uh, is asking. So, do Sunnis and Shias have separate hadiths? Actually, that yeah, the cut. main. The, that's the reason that is a main difference theologically. Right. The reason that they have completely In, different theological um, practices I'm, or beliefs is because of their sources. There's, of actually, there's two sources. Okay, so when we get to the theological episode, which will be the second episode in the series, um, there's going the main the two sources is this different source of hadith, but also different tafsir. Different yeah. interpretations of certain verses in the Quran. We should we should like list the different the verses in the Quran that they have different interpretations. Yeah, I was thinking of. I'm going to make some notes and stuff to right. talk about certain things right. we can talk about. So uh, anyway, and and yeah, we talked about that earlier as well. Okay, so, last question. is saying, I'm actually impressed. Armin knows quite a bit. He swears so much you'd think he was partially ignorant. <laughs> uh, you know, I heard somebody else said that. They said that because you swear a lot, people don't take your uh, knowledge seriously. Oh, uh, fuck you. But, Fuck I think them. that's a, I think that's such a non yeah no. it's it's twenty wait but what is it? but focus on the first part why are you focusing on the second part he's saying uh, I he said what you got cut he said he thinks I know a lot thank you he said I'm actually impressed Armin knows quite a bit he swears so much you'd think he was partially ignorant I that's think a that, yeah but and then next but, he said I once dated a cute girl named Ali so there right. you go the thing is that I think the people that have um, the problem with swearing is part of the purity uh, thing that comes with religion. So I like I don't like words are words. There's nothing sacred about them. Uh, just like there's no sacred, you know, words that are supposed to be revered. There's no words that you're supposed to not, you know, that makes it disgust. 
you know, if you, you're, you're, if, if you find these words too vulgar, it's your ears that are too sensitive, right? You need to fix something. This is the, the, the this is the kind of purity that we don't need. This is the kind of purity that religion uh, introduces into our society. And I will keep swearing to fight this kind of uh, purity. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Boulder Dennis is asking. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just going with the questions. Mm-hmm. Who taught Muhammad how to write? So this is actually he never a, learned how to write. Huh? Yeah, this is a historical thing that Muhammad was uh, illiterate. He apparently did not know how to write. So this is why the Quran was revealed when he got the revelations. He would Ali was his first them. writer. Yeah, and then and then they would uh, the, the people around him, his companions, would sort of memorize uh, whatever the revelations were, uh, and then later they were written down, and then they weren't compiled until long after his death, until the Caliphate of Uthman. See, I, it, okay, so at the t- at that time, writing was very very rare, but mm-hmm. memorizing poetry was very common. Uh, which right. the, which makes Quran not a miracle at all because all all Muhammad had to do because people say the Quran is a miracle because Muhammad didn't know how to read and write, yeah, but he never wrote and he never wrote it down and he never read it. He just memorized the poetry and he came and told Ali to write it down, which and other people mostly Ali, if, according to Shias mostly Ali. So I don't know if this is true. Uh, if but but so given that he had to just memorize it, and memorizing poetry was so common, how does that make it a miracle? I have yet to get an answer to this uh, from any Muslim. But the interesting uh, Shias actually say Ali was so good at write, writing and, and reading and writing that they called them Abul Nahv. Right, uh, which means the father of grammar. Apparently, mm-hmm. um, Sarf or Naf together is uh, Arabic for grammar. But anyways, uh, but Muhammad actually he he was originally poor when he was a goat herder. But when he married Khadija, Khadija was rich, so Muhammad became rich. So when he was raising he, when he was raising Ali, he could afford a tutor for Ali to teach Ali how to read and write. Yeah. Yeah. But go on. So, uh, Daniel Yerk again is asking, uh, why are there so many Sunnis that say they're descendants of Muhammad? So, I, okay, so and anybody who talks about descendants of Muhammad, so I was, my name is Rizvi. I come from the Imam Raza, who is also a direct descendant of Muhammad. And, and we actually have a family tree that's uh, written down historically that traces us back to Muhammad. I even did my 23andMe and apparently my ancestry. But here's the thing. Almost everybody in uh, Europe, for instance, white, whatever your race is, uh, you're probably a descendant of Muhammad because of the Moorish invasion of southern Europe. I would refer people to uh, Richard Dawkins' book, uh, The Ancestor's Tale. So the thing is, almost all of us are descendants of Genghis Khan. Um, oh, uh, Many, many of us are descendants of Muhammad. You may not even know it. Uh, Queen Elizabeth actually has a documented uh, uh, ancestor. Alleged. We don't even thing. know. If oh, no, no, no. It's, it's actually... It's no, documented. we don't so even know Queen who Isabella. Muhammad, real Muhammad was. Okay, so we don't like... If, anyways, but I'm going to say alleged. But go on. Right. Okay. Yeah, of course there's doubt. But the thing is that, okay, there's almost unanimous consensus that Muhammad existed, but supposing he didn't, and supposing he wasn't, then all of this is moot. But if the historical records are correct, then uh, the, uh, most people are descendants. That's how. By the way, we're going to have this. We're going to have a whole episodes later on about you know 
skepticism about everything Islam, like going out and going looking for evidence for it. if any of this ever happens, we're gonna have episodes. We're gonna have actual uh, yeah. episodes eventually. And that, but anyway, Daniel right. actually, Daniel was very clever. He he, I think he caught a apparent contradiction. He says because I said Muhammad never actually learned how to read and write. He said, but you were talking about a pen and paper at his deathbed, right? So that's very true, and I think the way that works is that because of, based on other stories I heard from Muhammad, is that he would get pen and paper and he would get he will uh, he would dictate and somebody would write down for him, right? That's yeah. how that's how it works. And the way I know that um, is that like one actually very interesting story is that when they were right when Muhammad actually uh, came to in you know. He wrote a treaty with with Mecca at the time, but Mecca hasn't hadn't yet accepted uh, Islam yet a, a peace agreement or whatever you call it, right? So um, at that time, when Muhammad was still in power only in Medina, but hasn't haven't yet conquered Mecca yet, he before eventually before it led to the full invasion. Uh, at first, they had a peace agreement, and the people from Mecca, when they were the the person that they sent to to negotiate this peace agreement, um, Muhammad was writing his, signing his, telling Ali to, you know, they were writing their part and Ali uh, Ali was writing on behalf of Muhammad. And Ali uh, signed Muhammad's name as Muhammad Rasulullah, which is Muhammad, the prophet of God. Uh, and that other guy, which I forgot his name from the other side, says that that's not, what, that's not how I recognize you. We don't recognize you as a prophet of God, so you can't sign it as Muhammad Rasulullah. And Muhammad tells Ali to find, cross that out, and sign as Muhammad uh, Ibn Abdullah, which was the name of his father, Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. And Ali refuses. This is a direct command from Muhammad, which Ali says, I cannot do, because to do that, the part that he has to cross out has Allah's name in it. And Ali says that I cannot cross out the name of Allah, right? Okay. And Muhammad tells Ali to just give me the pen and show me where it says Rasulullah, and I will cross it out for you. Uh, and then you could write down Ibn Abdullah instead. Anyway. But anyways, that was an interesting story I wanted to tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, okay, we got to wrap this up. Okay. Uh, now, just a couple more questions. Uh, bin Bin, Bin Bin, that's his name, is asking, what are the hadiths for Shias which are not part of Sunni tradition? Um, virtually uh, none of them. They, they, they reject what? all Sunni hadith. No, so no, no. There's. Mm, I Shias think... reject Bukhari. They reject. Uh, sorry, not Bukhari. It was, yeah, it's Bukhari, Muslim. Uh, they reject almost all of them. Are you, okay. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard about these hadiths until there, I... There are commonalities. I mean, there's a lot of stuff Bukhari, yes. that is so, in the Bukhari hadith that also appears in Shia. Exactly. So Islam. there are some stuff in the uh, the sources that Sunni... There are some hadiths in the uh, in the books that Sunnis take seriously that you also find in the books that... It's Shia, but, that but Shia overall, their sources, they reject sources. each other's. Yes. Right? Yeah. Actually, should the Shia reject the Sunni sources? The Sunni don't always reject Shia sources. So that's a, that's a they pretty do, I mean they I mean they kinda rejected by not calling they saying they're not Sahih. Like anything no. that they say they might be true, but you can't trust it if it's not Sahih. If it's right. authentic, right? So, okay, so yeah. 
Uh, okay, so BTD and game. So, so this reminds me that we should have probably been more basic in the beginning. But he's saying, uh, why are Shia so devout to Ali? Uh, the very word Shia. <laughs> because he's the essence of God. <laughs> yeah, no, no, well, the very word Shia. <laughs> this is the extreme uh, is, version of this. Is the, the, the ultimate extreme version of being devout to Ali well, is the people yeah. that say that Ali is actually the essence of God. But go right, on. So the very, yeah, but he's, he's saying why. Shia actually the, is short for Shiatul Ali, which means followers of Ali. So right. Shia means followers. The very name means uh, followers of Ali. So you'd expect them to be fairly devout. Uh, the Rational Guard is saying, was Muhammad a Jedi? Um, I... Uh, it probably was, yeah. I think no, he, that's a reference to the our Star Wars uh, worlds, you know, because oh yeah, yeah, Ali yeah. Muhammad would be the Yoda, and Ali would be like a Jedi. That's uh, anyway, go on. We right, could so keep making these comparisons. It would be fun, actually. Harshit is asking, how come Iran became a Shia majority? That would be a, that would be the third. Would that be third the episode? Third, the third, third episode. episode. Yeah. Okay. All right, so, and I think that is uh, mainly it. Rational is, uh, okay, it seems that there are more splinter groups that come from Shiism than Sunnism. Is that correct? Ahmadiyya, Alavi, Ismaili, is that, no, that's not correct, actually. Ahmadiyya is more derived from Sunnism. Alavi, Ismaili are derived from Shia. Um, there are also Diobandi, there's Barelvi, there's all these other ones in, in Sunniism. There are actually a lot more factions in Sunniism than there are in Shiism. Uh, no, just because no, not technically. There's more. There's more groups, but they're agree- They have more agreements with each other. Yeah, yeah. No, no. We're not oh. talking about the agreements. We're talking about uh, how many factions there are. So there are actually more subsects uh, in, in uh, Sunnis. They, no, just I because would... they're so much bigger. Mm, yeah, they're but are you, you're not you're not considering the four schools of thought in Sunni Islam as subsects, are you? Because no, they would not. not no, 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 okay. not those. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. everything. Salafis, the right, Diyabad, right. okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay. too. Yeah, okay. All that. Okay, okay. so anyway, okay. Uh, moving on. I'm looking for tags and. <laughs> BJ is saying, my brain. Uh, thank you, Ali and Armin and everyone. Cheers to all. My brain feels too, uh, too, so full right now. Oh, thank you, BJ. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, I think that's uh, good. Matt Rose is saying, you need to have an ex Sunni on your show. You're somehow getting Sunni studies wrong. Um, no, we're not. We have had so many discussions with I, Sunnis. I, we, uh, we yeah, well, not only discussions. Actually, when I studied Islam in school, when I went to school, we had to do Islamic studies. What are we getting wrong point one thing that we got wrong yeah we we have to choose we had to choose between whether we're going to do the sunni version shia version uh i was supposed to do the shia version because i'm shia but because all of the good teachers were in sunni and most of the kids were doing sunni and i could borrow their notes and stuff i decided to do my exams in the sunni thing so i actually know more about that than i do about the shia yeah um, but they keep pointing out to the stuff to part that i said he asked for paper he did i mean that is the in the biography that he asked for paper. Not that he was going to write on it, but go on. Right. Okay, so, gonna, people are going to be nitpicky about this thing. All right. So now I got to go. So I'm just going to do one more question. Uh, some of these are repeated. Um, so, yeah, we talked about Uthman's uh, caliphate and how that was a failure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, people are uh, saying, okay, let's just go. Let's just, that's good. That's good. We, we asked everything that we were... Uh, tagged in. 
Um, so, so the Ashura event. Yeah, I think. I think Karen is saying thanks, Armin Ali. Thank you, Ahmed is saying take care, guys. Thank you, guys, for all your information. By the way, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure, like, obviously, we're going to not get everything right. So uh, once this video is not live anymore, everything out, everything that you want to correct us on or educate us yeah, on, add it in the com- comments. Add it in the comments. Be uh, be nice, okay? We're learn. We are always learning, and we're happy to learn from you as well. Don't just yeah. don't be a dick about it, um, but yeah, let us know if there's anything that you thought we should have added that we didn't, anything that you think we got wrong. Just leave it in the comment section. What, what do you think we should talk about the next time? Because we're gonna yeah. do three parts of this. Yeah, there's gonna be three parts. So let us know if any any corrections that you want to add us to the list. Not right now. Once the live is out, add it to the comment section because so that we could read it. Right, um, and if you guys think that this was, let us know if you thought uh, we didn't focus on the basics as much, if, if we got into too much detail, too granular. That's also a, a good thing for By us. By the way, we have had know. also a lot. Of, like, wasn't was it? Weren't the two Abdullahs that we had ex Sunnis? Uh, no, uh, yeah, well, yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. so and Abdullah Sapir is actually really uh, interesting because yeah. he was a Smiley Shia and then he became Sunni and then now he's an ex Muslim. So. Uh, we even had an ex Sunni Muslim that became a Hindu. So we have, yeah, we have had ex Sunnis on this show a lot. We have an ex- a lot of, and we have Harris Sultan, yeah, Harris Sultan. And we have, like, we, like, not only we have had ex Sunnis on this show a lot, we have had Sunnis on this show a lot. Go on, actually. Yeah, that we had. Uh, yeah. Anyway. yeah, so so we've had, uh, we've had we've had all kinds of people, but it's right. interesting that a lot of the really prominent ex-Muslim voices, right? They too, like was it Sarah Haders from a Shia background? Both of because us because Shias. Um, this is what I'm going to say later. The reason why Iran became Shia is because Shia was a was a was a symbol of opposition, and Iran used it as an opposition. So it's 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 very it's very interesting that a lot of the people in the ex-Muslim movement were uh, used to be Shia, given that that Shiaism was also a spirit of the spirit of opposition, always uh, always in the opposition against mainstream. Uh, yeah. But okay, so Mars is saying, uh, Mike is saying, thanks guys, live long and prosper. Mars is saying, informative episode, thanks. Thanks, Alien Armin. Uh, Daniel saying thank you, guys. I learned a lot, but I am still confused. <laughs> we, it was, I mean, it was pretty. It was more organized than um, our other episode. Like we actually did put some structure to this. We was, stuck to know, chronology. Chronology, at least, yes. There again, a, a, another good book to read is um, more details on these stories. Is the a book is called After the Prophet. So if you okay, so the two books combination, the, uh, the, this whole drama during the pri- Muhammad's lifetime, the book would be Muhammad's uh, la- uh, his life based on early, the earliest sources for the drama during his life and for the drama after his life. A good easy book to read is called After the Prophet. Forgot who wrote that, but it was very fun read. Uh, if you want to be less confused about it, uh, the rational guard is saying. Abdullah was Shia first, then Sunni. Well, he was Sunni at some point. Um, <laughs> Saf- Saffron Butter is saying, may Allah keep you safe from the Ummah. <laughs> That's funny. I'm going to use that. Um, Mars saying, it's, it's religion. It's not supposed to make sense. Well, I mean, it does have, inter- it doesn't, it's, it has some internal structure to it, even though it doesn't make sense from the outside because it's not real, but it's, it's organized nonsense rather than chaotic nonsense. That's what I tell people. Anyways, that's yeah. let's end it at that. 
So that's good. Uh, yeah, we're gonna head. I'm gonna. I, I gotta go, guys. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much uh, for doing this. This was this was a blast. It was a lot of fun. And yeah. We're not talking. Not the Allah Akbar kind of blast. Um, <laughs> okay. And uh, we, yeah, we will see you next time. Lots of yeah. really great stuff. This is right now. We're recording this as the end of February, but uh, lots of really really great stuff uh, already yeah. cooking for for March and April. So. Yeah. Um, Stay tuned and yeah, go go to iTunes. Uh, give us yeah, a leave rating. us a review on iTunes. That really helps. Thank you. Yeah, that, that'd be really cool. And, and then, subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Don't forget yeah, subscribe. subscribe right now. Okay. Yeah, just like it's right down there. Just go hit yeah. subscribe. You're Thanks. good. All right. Okay, guys. All right, love you. you all. The secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.